This episode is brought to you by Affordable Drill Towers. Founded in 2016 by our good friend Steve Sanguidoce, a retired Houston, Texas firefighter, the Affordable Drill Tower was designed and built with functionality and versatility in mind for any training ground. As a standalone training tower and add-on to an existing burn building or connect setup, the Affordable Drill Tower packs a massive punch at an affordable price tag. With over 50 towers across the country, from Massachusetts to California, Montana to Texas, professionally engineered, NFPA and ISO compliant, the Affordable Drill Towers brings the versatility to your training ground. From Main Street USA, the small town fire company in their back parking lot, to the training grounds of the largest metropolitan fire academy, the Affordable Drill Tower fits the bill for price and functionality. Check them out at AffordableDrillTowers.com. And two things I like to talk about also when talking about our friends over at Affordable Drill Towers. One, their customized training program. They have the ability to bring some of the best talent from across the country to your home turf after the install of the Affordable Drill Tower. Designing a customized training program for you and your department, Steve will facilitate some of the biggest and brightest names of the American Fire Service to come in and work with you and your department. And secondly, and I think most important, is Steve's belief in need over greed. The affordable drill tower company gives back to not-for-profits that support organizations in the American Fire Service. Organizations such as the Joey D Foundation, which is near and dear to Steve Sanguidoche's heart, as well as many other not-for-profits that he takes a part of. He takes great pride in providing funding for organizations that push this job forward. So check them out. Steve and Dennis over at Affordable Drill Towers. Send them an email at info at affordabledrilltowers.com. Check them out on social media. And their YouTube page is kicking butt with great information, training nuggets, and information about their towers. So check them out, Affordable Drill Towers, and let them know Jeremy over at National Fire Radio sent you. This episode's brought to you by Ridgeway Leatherworks. Ridgeway Leatherworks is a firefighter-owned and operated business as well as a family-run business, and that's what I love about it. Rob and his family are passionate about their customer service and the quality product and craftsmanship they put out for the emergency services. Rob's been on the show. We've been to his his business. We've seen them in action. I've even tried to hand-paint radio straps. I promise you, it is not as easy as what the final outcome looks like. The product is so good, it's so clean and crisp, and yet, man, it takes that steady hand. Rob's become a near and dear friend of our podcast, and you hear that over and over when we talk about our sponsors, that they're friends, supporters, and that's what this networking community is all about, is supporting one another. Ridgeway Leatherworks, Rob Meyer, crushing it. Quality and craftsmanship is number one. Customer service is right there with it. From custom radio straps, universal radio holsters, chin straps, flashlight holders, anti-sway straps, and locker tags made out of leather, there's plenty of opportunity along the way when you deal with Ridgeway Leatherworks. So check them out at RidgewayLeatherworks.com. Find them on social media, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. And tell Rob you heard about him on the National Fire Radio platform and give them a little pluck and tell them keep up the good work we need to support our firefighter owned businesses and especially family run businesses where his two daughters and his wife help out day in and day out along with his other employees so again ridgeway leatherworks check them out at ridgewayleatherworks.com and find them on all your social media channels chief thank you for the invitation to be here 
Berkshire, right? That's where I am? The Berkshires? That's how we do it in New Jersey, right? The Berkshires. Berkshires, Chief? Got it right. So thank you for the invitation. Um, I love being able to do this. This is an absolute honor for me um, to be able to travel and speak to people. And I hope at the end of the day, we can make a little bit of an impact on your career, uh, whether career or volunteer. And you're going to hear me talk about that a lot today. I don't care if you get a paycheck or if you get satisfaction from it. It doesn't matter to me. It's the same job. The fire doesn't care. The people don't care. The public we serve don't care. It's the same freaking job. So put that aside today. If you're, uh, if you're a staunch career guy, cool. I'll talk to you outside in the parking lot. I'm a staunch volunteer guy because that's what I know and that's what I grew up in. Um, and I'm going to get into my story a little bit to explain. But understand that the fire doesn't care and the people don't care. And it's the service that we provide to the end resident, to the end consumer, the resident. That's what matters most in what we do. So bridging the gap, preserving tradition and culture one generation at a time. Today's program is going to be a little bit about me, National Fire Radio, and then I'm going to roll right into the Bridging the Gap program. <clears throat> bridging the Gap program is about very much that. 73 to 19, I think you said the range was in the room today? Huge, right? The fact that you're all willing to give up apple picking and pumpkin patch visiting and Instagram pictures for your wives and girlfriends. I get it, man. You guys must have begged, barred, and steeled to get here. Right? I get it, because my wife wanted to go apple picking today, and I told her I had to go speak instead. So it's one of those things. Um, I want this to be interactive, because it's a small room. Please, in the middle of this, while I'm talking, interrupt me. Raise your hand. Ask me a question. I want to go down rabbit holes with you. I want to enjoy this time before lunch today. I don't want to just spit my conversation out and then have zero feedback. I would love conversation today from young and old. So please don't hesitate to ask a question. Aloha. This is new to me. This is new to my presentation. Um, I had the absolute unbelievable opportunity to go to Maui, Hawaii a few weeks back to visit Maui to see the fires that happened in Lahaina firsthand and document the stories of what happened in Lahaina, Maui. They had a wildfire that blew through, leveled 2,200 structures. Hundreds of people have gone missing or dead. Um, and I had an inv invitation, a front row seat, to go there and see firsthand what happened. Um, absolute honor for me to do that. We interviewed 22 people in four days. I interviewed politicians, firefighters, retired firefighters, cultural and spiritual leaders. I got immersed into the Hawaiian culture, and I promise you this, I did not want to come home. We value what we know. And what we know is you guys live here in the Berkshires, right? Or the Berkshires. I live in northern New Jersey, the hustle. I live 25 minutes outside of New York City. My day doesn't stop. It's 100 miles an hour, just like all of yours. Whether you're a career volunteer fireman, you work one, two, three jobs, you volunteer, right? You do sports with your kids. That's all we know because that's what we're immersed in. But I promise you, there's so much more to life. And I'm starting to learn this. At 46 years old, I'm really starting to learn there's a lot more to life. Um, and so for me... National Fire Radio has become this thing that has, I thought it was going to be this storytelling, this idea of, did I hit it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, the idea that, you know, this is all about the fire service, but what I've come to find out is this is making me such a better human being. National Fire Radio has been one of the best things to happen to me. My children, my wife, National Fire Radio. And I'm going to go into that story because that's why I think it's so important. But I went and had an opportunity to go to Hawaii. I saw the fires firsthand. There was a lot of tinfoil hat 
nonsense that came out afterwards. All these different things, all these different conspiracy theories about the fires, this and that. I can tell you firsthand, I sat down with first due engine companies that were at that fire first due. I sat down with guys that were on the brush trucks that day. I sat down with guys that cried, telling me they thought they were going to die. First in companies being overrun by fire, running horizontally at 80 to 100 mile an hour, buildings lighting off one after another, being stuck, 4 o'clock in the afternoon being in a cul-de-sac, and it looks like it's midnight. Lights out. Guys are on air. in the Captain going into uh, respiratory arrest. The stories that came out of there exemplify the very best of what the fire service stands for. These guys and girls that were on the front line in Lahaina, Maui, that day for that firestorm are lucky to be alive. But man, are they struggling with a lot. And I had, through the abilities of National Fire Radio, which is an absolute honor, uh, I had an invitation to go there and I saw all this firsthand. And I get to tell these stories. Um, and when I tell you that they were heavy days, man, um, I'm getting emotional. Every time I talk about this slide, I get emotional. Um, super heavy days. Super, super heavy days. When you have first-in companies telling you about how hard it was and what a failure they were, that they couldn't protect their own neighborhoods. They watched their own homes burn down. They, they didn't know while they're helping their families and their neighbors, they didn't know if their own families were getting out of harm's way. Think about it. Right? You guys go to the firehouse, whether you're volunteer or career, you go to the firehouse and we have a hurricane. For me, we'll get super storms or hurricanes down in New Jersey. You guys get the after effect of that in western Massachusetts, not as much as like the Boston area. But you still get significant weather events. We all are more and more. So you guys go and you do. You're either on, uh, at the firehouse on shift or you're a volunteer, but you leave your homes. And now you guys are helping innocent strangers because we're sworn to protect them. And yet, you don't know how your own family's doing. We sacrifice so much. We take for granted our own situation. We take for granted our own families. And I talk about that a little bit today, too. This is important to me because I just feel that I need to share the stories just a little bit. The way in Hawaii and what was really impressive to me was the way of life there. They have this, and I wish I could speak native Hawaiian. Um, some of the gentlemen I were with um, are direct bloodline uh, 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 ascendants of the, the kings of the Polynesian Hawaii. So some of these guys, uh, Chief Amos, he was a retired battalion chief, battalion chief two out of uh, Maui Fire. And he hosted me there. He invited me. Um, he's a big part of the cleanup and a big part of everything that's going on there. He's a direct bloodline of, of the Hawaiian people. And there's tremendous conflict there uh, between the trust between the native people and the government and the lack of response and all these different things. They have a lot of things at play there. But they opened up their home to me and they taught me one very, one very special thing. And this is where I can loop this into the fire services. Their culture is very much in line with what the values are of the fire service. It's about knowing order. It's about knowing your place. It's about respect for those around you. Doesn't matter if you're a dishwasher or the mayor of the town, you are equal. You are people and we respect people. They have a thing about order. What is up is up. What is down is down. And when the order goes out of order, we run into chaos. It's the same in the fire service. When things are in order and things are in, in process in which they should be, things run very well. It's when we step out of the order, things go a little skew. And so, it's this incredible thing. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be releasing content against um, 
against all the, the Maui uh, and Lahaina fire content. Uh, the 22 interviews, we're also doing a like five part series on it. Um, that's going to break it down. Uh, and it's, uh, it's pretty heavy stuff, but I'll tell you, um, I, I sat, so many other firefighters are young. I mean, twenties, some of these kids, this was their first fire. Mind numbing the stories. So anyway, it was, this was a moment in my career, uh, fire. I'm a volunteer. I'm going to get into my story, but 28 years in the fire service, um, this was probably one of the most powerful weeks I've ever had in, in my fire service career, talking with firefighters and having that ability to do so. I'm just honored to have it. So I just wanted to share that with you. There's a way of life about aloha. It's not just hello and goodbye. It's a way of life. Uh, I'm trying to live more that way every single day. And I, everybody I meet, I want to share those stories and try to challenge them to do the same. We could all do better. I promise you that. Family's everything. That's my old man, 81 years old. I always call him 82, and he gets very mad at me. Um, he still gets up at 3 o'clock in the morning. He still goes to the firehouse. He's been a fireman longer than I think I've been alive, um, and he's my hero. He is everything to me. Uh, I called him. and I took this picture a while ago. I called him, and I said, uh, hey, Pops, meet me at the firehouse. He's in a different firehouse than me. I'm in another, another station. I said, meet me at the firehouse. I need to take a picture with you. And he said, for what? And I said, well, I want to get a picture like with our lids on or something. You know, I just, you know, I, I want something. We don't have many photos like this, my father and I. And I have two brothers in the fire service, too. All four of us are firemen because um, we grew up in a firefighter home. And, uh, and that's just what we did. And I say family is everything. It's the family business. This doesn't pay us, but it rewards us. And I'm going to get into that a little bit. And that's what's really cool. But he's my hero. And I'm going to talk about him a little bit today. Um, he's a big part of my life, big part of my story. So I always like to start off my presentations with Tommy Donch right there. He's, uh, he's a rock star, man. And uh, I would love to introduce him all to you one day. He's just a, an incredible guy, and he's my rock. This is the other family business. So like I said, I'm a volunteer fireman, so something has to pay the bills, right? So we had a family business from 1980 till about five years ago when we sold it. Uh, Tri-State Bearing. I'm a ball-bearing salesman. It's a fucking punchline. Excuse my language. <laughs> Literally is a punchline. I go to cocktail partner language, too. When I get excited, I start cursing a little bit, so deal with me. Um, it's just passion, I promise. Um, it's a, it's a punchline. What do you do for a living? My wife takes me to a cocktail party, a PTA party. We go out with people from town. And it's like, oh, what do you do? I say, I'm a ball-bearing salesman. They just look at you. They're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, yeah, people don't even know what ball-bearings are. I'm a mechanical guy. I grew up in a business that we took care of bearings, power transmission equipment, motors, pumps, gears, sprockets, gearboxes, any type of manufacturing, any type of MRO, OEM. I can keep going on with the initials, but that's my life. I still live that life today, believe it or not. Outside of National Fire Radio, I still have this job. We sold to a competitor about five years ago. I'm a technical salesman for them. I travel all over the country uh, doing that for them. I'm very hands-on. Yesterday, I was in a trash to energy plant and looking at like a $200,000 job. That's the type of stuff I do. So I'm very mechanically inclined. I grew up in this business. I know this stuff back and forth. And this is part of how National Fire Radio started. Um, the family business to me was everything. And I want to talk about this a little bit. So I had this ability, you know, growing up in an upper middle class uh, world, uh, my family was able to take care of my education for me. No laugh? Okay, one laugh? I mean, who laughed? All right, thank you. I'm fucking Tommy boy, man. Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life. And I lived that way for a very long time until all of a sudden I had an aha moment one day. 
I want to talk about that. Tommy Callahan, if you're not familiar with Tommy Boy, it's literally one of the best movies of all time, only because it's during my generation. I was in college when this movie came out, so we literally watched this, and all of my, every single one of my friends looked at me, and they're like, it's you. It's 100% you. Growing up in the household I was in, um, I was afforded a four-year education. My parents were able to pay for my college education. Um, and through that, I squandered it. I, didn't, I, I took advantage of it. I didn't, I didn't push myself to be better. I didn't want to be better. I just enjoyed being where I was. Um, I loved college so much that I went for five years. Um, yeah, I should be a doctor. I'm not. I promise you that. But the point of that is, is that, you know, I took advantage of a situation that was given to me, and I didn't recognize the importance of that um, until later on in life. And so I just wanted to see what the, I didn't know if I put another slide in there. So the point of is this. I went through college. I'm riding now as a fireman in a combination department. So on Friday, Saturday nights, if I didn't want to go out drinking with the boys, we didn't want to go to the frat houses, we didn't want to go to the parties, I'd go up to the firehouse and I'd ride out with a four-man career crew when there was only a couple volunteers in this firehouse in Poughkeepsie, New York. And on Friday, Saturday nights, if I didn't want to go to the bar, I'd go to a fire because then they were going to fires. And I gained a lot of experience there and I, I, I became an equal. I became an equal because of my work ethic. I rode out of the firehouse with the career guys and there was no distinguish between volunteer or career. They treated me as an equal because I walked as an equal. And that's important. So I love the fire service. I fell in love with it. I was a volunteer at home, went to college, continued to volunteer in college. I'd go to fires. We were making fires. It was fun, man. Life was good. I'm 20, 21 years old. If I didn't want to go to the bar, I'd go to the firehouse. If I didn't want to go to the firehouse, I'd go to the bar. It was cool. But I blew away school. And school was important, and I squandered it. And I recognize that now. I did graduate five years. But during college, I had two opportunities to get hired in the fire service. The fire district that I was running in tried to hire me twice, and I deferred it. I started to have these mature moments in life, and I, I didn't really know who I was when I was looking in the mirror. I was just trying to figure it out, because I'm like, why wouldn't I take this fire job? And I felt that I owed it to my parents. I had this unbelievable respect for my father and my mother, because they took care of my education and the upbringing they gave me. I felt that I owed it to them to stay in college to get my degree, because I know if I walked out the door and took that career fire job, not only would I have 23 years in the fire service today as a career fireman, right, and pension system, the whole nine yards, right? I didn't feel it was fair to them. And so I stayed in college. I deferred the job twice and lost those opportunities. Um, when I came home from college, I felt that I had to go right into the family business. I felt that I owed it to them. Uh, there's this crazy thing about family businesses. If anybody familiar with family business, by any means? Good, run, it's awful. <laughs> I mean that in the kindest way. I love it. I was second generation, but there's a reason why we sold our business. And I'll talk to you guys about that if you want, because there's a reason why we sold it. Generational businesses are very hard to keep. It causes a lot of conflict within families, and eventually you start to resent one another. It happens. I promise you. I lived it. And that's where I want to go with this story. So I had opportunities to get hired. I deferred it, lost those opportunities, graduated from school. Now I had to go back home. I go back home. Now I'm taking some tests. I'm like, oh, I'll be a cop. I'll be a fireman. It's like something I want to do. I was a criminal justice major. But I worked with the family business, and I was in the family business. Um, came home. I was given a credit card, a car, and said, go see clients. Go build clients. Go do sales. You're an outside salesman. They gave me every tool I needed, but I didn't have the foundation I needed 
to understand the family business. And, so, and I wasn't willing to learn it at the time. And so, like college, fat, drunk, and stupid, right? I squandered it the first couple of years. I'm an outside salesman. I had everything at my disposal, and I was the worst salesman in the world because I didn't do anything. I just went to lunch. I played golf. It was the most ridiculous shit. It was Tommy Boy. It was Tommy Boy. And that's who I was. 2008, 2009 comes. And for you guys that remember that, uh, the economy dumped pretty hard. There was a big correction. It's coming again, too, by the way. I still believe that. But 2008, 2009, it was a big correction. And the family business, man, bang. We feel it real quick. We deal with manufacturing. Manufacturing dropped. We lost contracts. We lost business. My father says, meet me at the diner. I meet him at the diner with my two brothers. He said, you guys either are going to learn this business or you're fired. What do you want right now? Make a decision. And then we had to walk back to my office and we had to fire people that knew the job, that deserved that job. I didn't deserve that job. My father should have fired my ass that day. I'm glad he didn't. And I'm, that day I had to make a conscious decision to stay with the family business. And so I did. Um, we had to let go of some really talented and amazing people only to keep a family business alive. And this is part of that struggle with a family business. Family businesses are tough. Um, and so I stayed with the business and I learned. He put me on a desk, took away my American Express card, took away my car, put me at a desk and said, you're going to sit here and answer this phone all day long until you learn this job. And if you don't want to, you tell me and you can walk. And that was it. My father drew a line in the sand and good for him. He should have done it six years sooner, right? So long story short, to bring this around, um, I learned the job and then I learned it really well. But what happened was it took away my drive to go pursue the fire job, the police job. And I realized that my father went all in on me. It's time for me to go all in on the family business. And I did. Um, I became very good at it. Uh, this is an older, like the fire service, it's starting to trend younger now, but it's always been an older gentleman's industry. This industry, bearings and power transmission equipment, there's no young guys in this. We can't even get guys to to fix things. We can't get carpenters, plumbers. You think we can get guys that understand mechanical aptitude? We can't get guys to sell bearings. We can't sell. I went into a, a, a trash energy plant yesterday, like I was talking about. There's no way, I don't, I mean, the, the amount of conveyors and lines and gearing and ratios and gearboxes and VFDs and motor, like you have to have mechanical aptitude to understand that. And it comes with experience and parallels again with the fire service but we need to teach our young these things. I'm gonna get into that in the program later on um, and so on. So I became good at it and I was a young guy that got really good at this game, um, which was fun. And so now I go from not knowing anything to going all in and starting to build the business and we're, we're clawing back from 08 and 09 and now we're flying. Um, we're doing really well. I'm finding alternative ways to sell. I'm starting to use social media. I'm starting to mess with different things to educate people about the product. Through education comes sales. And I'll talk about that in a little bit too. That as we educate, what we want is an educated consumer. The best firefighter we can have is the most educated. Now, education doesn't mean sitting here. Education doesn't mean reading a textbook. It just means they're a student. Where are they learning? They might be learning on the fire ground. Pat's been a fireman for over 30 years. He's learned on the fire ground. Not that he hasn't learned in the classroom too, but he's a student. That's what we want and need, right? And so I became a student and I found ways that I can educate and sell and we grew the business and we continued to grow the business. 
But with growth comes conflict in family business. My father was getting older. I'm now running it. I'm the youngest of three boys, and I'm the boss. That gets very challenging real quick. I'm 46. I have a brother that's 50 and another brother that's 52, and they were in the business with me, and I was telling them what to do. Gets hard. And so what happens is resentment. And this is where family business becomes very challenging. And I can parallel this to the fire service, and I will as we talk about the different generations and so on. Resentment is a dangerous, dangerous thing. I started not hanging out with my family anymore outside of work. We didn't have barbecues. We didn't do events together. We didn't do anything together anymore because we saw each other Monday through Friday. I'm working 10, 12, 14-hour days. They're not. I'm working seven days a week. They're not. Resentment. It creeps in. And if you live in a family business, you work in a family business, you have an understanding of this. Um, and so I turned 40 years old. It's pretty successful at what I was doing. I learned how to play social media. I learned how to sell through social media. I learned how to educate through social media because that was the next platform that I thought we could take our bearing business on. Um, and through that, at 40 years old, I was having some serious struggles with the, with the job. I didn't like it anymore. It was getting more and more difficult. My father and I were butting heads. I wasn't hanging out with my brothers anymore. And we're all firemen too, don't forget. So we have a lot of paths that cross in life. And it just became very different. And I didn't like it. And I remember coming home, my wife said to me one day, my wife, Terry, is my rock. It takes a special woman to deal with my bullshit, 100%. Um, my wife, my kids, they're everything to me. Uh, I will drop everything in life for them immediately. Um, and that's the way it should be, uh, I, I believe. Um, they're everything to me. My wife said to me, what's up with you? And I said, I'm not happy anymore. I said, everything I do is for other people. It's not for myself. You need personal fulfillment in life. Whether it's on the fire ground and being the best fireman you can be, getting the best training, educating yourself, being a good father, being a good husband, being a good wife, being a good mother, whatever you need in life. You have to find fulfillment in it. If you're not fulfilled, you can't perform. You can't be good for other people if you're not good for yourself. And so I realized that the job was killing me. My family business was making me unhappy. I didn't enjoy it anymore. It was ruining relationships, and I did not want that to get in the way of family. And so for me, I said to my wife, so she says, well, what do you want to do about it? Now, I could have gotten hired anywhere. I could go anywhere in a country and do my bearing job because I'm good at it and I'm young. I could get hired anywhere. That wasn't an issue. I wanted to do something that was important to me and the fire service kept coming back to me every time I would think about this and I thought about the fire service and I said, that's my passion. I fucking love going to fires. I love the camaraderie. I love the bumper talk. I love sharing a beer, having a story, talking to 79-year-old Joe and 18-year-old Frank and getting them together and telling stories and pushing this job forward. It's important. And it always gnawed at me that that was the most important thing. And so I said to my wife, I said, you know, through all this, through all the social media I was doing for my company and growing sales there and educating, I said, I think I can replicate that for the fire service. And she said, well, then go do it. Didn't hesitate. She said, go do it. Now, if she knew what it took and what it's been the last six months, six years, she probably would have told me, don't do it. Um, but it's been this unbelievable journey for me. And so what I did real quick was I figured fire service is my passion. It's time to go pursue my passion. 
Um, and as I started to develop and build out National Fire Radio, it was a podcast and social media platform designed to represent the very best of the fire service. Nobody's reading page 17 of a magazine anymore. Nobody. It's just life. Life moves on. Technology moves on. We have to adapt. And what I was seeing in the fire service was there was this disconnect in delivery. Nobody's reading page 17 anymore, but they're listening to podcasts or watching social media. So if we can put the information that matters on the channels of which people are paying attention to, we can propel this thing forward. Hold on, because six years later, this thing turned into a freaking rocket ship. My ideas were right. It was 100% right. What we've been able to do with National Fire Radio has been an unbelievable journey for us, and we're just getting started. And so I started National Fire Radio to preserve the tradition and culture of the job. The podcast was started as a way to capture the stories and perpetuity of the senior man. There is so much knowledge and experience. Perpetuity. Anybody not know what that means? I'll tell you anyway. I didn't know the first time I heard that word, and now I use it like I'm smart. Perpetuity means forever. It's, in, it's, it's constantly happening. It's constantly there. It's always going to be there for you. So we need to capture those stories because here's the problem. We got guys leaving this job 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45 years. Volunteer career. They leave. They take everything with them. Now, compound that with guys that are getting disgruntled and pissed off. Compound that with guys that are fighting back against administration, hate the younger generation. They're pissed off that they have to wear long sleeves until April 1st, like whatever it is. They're getting upset, and all of a sudden, emotion has become so powerful in life that we let it affect our judgment and decision-making. And so, so many guys were leaving this job pissed off and disgruntled. And when they do that, whether career or volunteer, they take all their experience and knowledge with them. That sucks because a guy like me needs to sit down with Pat, the chief, who's got so much to share, and I want to learn his stories because I'm a student. Being a student means you want to learn. I want to learn. I want to be better on the fire ground every single day, and so i got to surround myself with people that want me to be better. And so that's what National Fire Radio is, and then it just turned into this ridiculous thing where it's – podcasts, social media. I get to travel all over the country now talking to amazing people. I get to talk to you guys today. This is what it's about, sharing passion and experience. And I freaking love it, man. I can't get enough of this. Um, right now, it's cool. This year on the podcast, we're over a million downloads. Uh, September, we did over 180,000 downloads on the podcast just in September alone. It's trending upward. Our social media has over, you know, between two to four million impressions a month. We're probably, I think we are, I say we are, we're the number one content distribution platform on social media for the fire service. It's amazing. But that also means that everybody else has work to do. The institutions that have relied upon tradition in the fire service, they're losing. They're losing because they haven't pivoted. And that's translating right back to the firehouse. If we're not willing to adjust and we're not willing to look at the status quo and find ways to make that connect today, we're going to lose. And that's why we are losing in a lot of places. That's why there is this massive disconnect within the fire service. It's because we're not willing to adapt. We're letting feelings get in the way and not fact. When you can unpack all the facts and you take feeling out of it, you're going to make the right decision every time. Emotion is a dangerous thing. And we have allowed emotion to creep into every decision within society and that's why we don't get along anymore. That's why we can't have a conversation, because it's emotional-driven, not fact-based-driven. 
this is important for me. Um, when, we started the, when we started the social media and podcast, there was one thing. I've never hid from day one about who I am. 28-year-old volunteer fireman, 46 years old out of New Jersey. I don't know everything. I'm not the best fireman. I like to think I'm a good fireman, but I'm not the best fireman. I could always learn. Authenticity. People don't believe bullshit, and firemen can see through it so freaking fast that we wouldn't have gotten off the ground if it was all smoke and mirrors. That's why, for me, protecting the stories in perpetuity of those that have been there and done it is important to me. I'm a steward of the message. That is it. I have my own opinions. Some people like them. Some people hate them. Some people like me. Some people don't. That's okay. That's life, and I'm okay with that. But it's important to protect the message. The message is what matters most. No room for embellishment or BS. Firefighters won't stand for it. You guys all know that. We all have those guys in the firehouse, guys or girls in the firehouse that are full of shit, and we push them to the side, and we don't waste time with them anymore. I get it. It's life. This is a slide that I had another. So this was in Imagine doing a podcast here in Maui. Look at this. Like, unbelievable, right? That's Captain Blackwell. Um, he literally was instrumental in protecting and saving his crew. I interviewed him. He was an amazing gentleman uh, and so on. But this was important. We built a community. The fire service is a community. I don't know. I only met a few of you in, in my dealings, right? A couple of familiar faces in here from some of the conferences or places I've been to. I know a couple guys by name. That's important. Building community, building trust. Community is super important. Be a part of the community. You guys here today are not the people I should be talking to. The fact that you're here, you guys get it. It's the people that aren't here that we really need to be talking to. So this is just a slide I want to show only because it was a cool picture, really. But uh, you got my introduction, the job. So now this is where we start getting into the bridging the gap conversation. And this is where I really would love for you guys to ask questions. It's a small room. So it's easy. Um, I would love some interaction because I love the back and forth with people. Um, and I think more value comes from that than me standing up here for the next hour, hour and a half talking. So I would love for back and forth. Please do not hesitate to ask questions. Please. Chief, especially you, because I know you will. The job, we all do it. I talked about it before. Career volunteer, the fire doesn't care. The people we're sworn to protect doesn't care. They don't care. We have a job to do, and we need to do it. So let's do it. The job, it's all about all of us, and I'm guilty. I'm guilty for everything that I talk about today. I'm going to tell you all these things, all these cool things, and I have gone absolutely the opposite direction on all of them. We all have. I'm not any better than anyone else. I stand up here only because I've created a platform that allows me to speak, that I have some ideas and opinions and experiences that I, that I value and maybe somebody else valued, and that's why they asked me to be here today. But I'm no better than anyone else. I make errors on the fire ground. I make errors as a father. I make errors as a husband. I'm just as guilty as everyone else. So everything I talk about today is just conversation. But please don't think that anyone is better than anywhere else. When you're on the fire ground and you have the best fireman there, I can promise you there's something in his life that's not clicking for him. Not everybody is programmed at 100% and can perform at 100% of their job every single time, regardless of what that is in life. And so I'm guilty for everything we talk about today, for not spending enough time with the young kid at the firehouse, for not mentoring the kids, for not, I don't know, proper size up, forcing a door correctly, stretching that line, I fumble, I trip. We're all guilty of it. So 
we can't focus on that. We need to focus on the greater good. We need to focus on the real conversation and not nitpick the bullshit. Because you guys all know in your firehouses you get crazy when guys nitpick the bullshit. That's one of the biggest problems we have right now is the focus is off. The greatest generation. So I'm going to go through this. I'm going to talk about a couple generational um, age groups. Um, I think it's important just to understand because, frankly, I didn't know half the generational names, to be honest with you. I mean, I know the greatest generation because, in fact, they are the greatest generation, right? These are people, World War II, right? These are people that were impacted by the Great Depression. They didn't have much. They were very proud of their values, very proud of morals, ethics, and values. Those things mattered. Material things did not. They didn't spend money. They were very protective of their future and their families. That was from uh, born 1901 to 1925. So today they would be 99 to like 122. My wife's grandmother turned 104 yesterday. I'm hoping to make 47. <laughs> 104 years old, guys. That's insane. And up until like the last two years, she, she battled COVID once, we think twice, but we know for once she battled it and won. And that was when she was about 100, 101. Um, and up until about a year and a half, two years ago, she absolutely, she put her heels on every day and she knew who everyone was and she lived a good life. But she's tired and she wants to go. And the last few months have been difficult, um, but she's not suffering, but she still hasn't decided to go yet. Um, it's, it's, it's really bittersweet. We all want her to go and to be at peace. Um, but she's just a beautiful human being who held this family together. But 104 years old, I, I just, it's, it's mind-numbing to me. Um, that's a big number. Uh, I'm just hoping to re- literally get through this year. Uh, the silent generation, 25 to 45, 78 to 98. My father is part of this generation. These are the people that, they make up the smallest generation because it was during the Great Depression uh, and World War II. So people weren't having all these children in the hard times. And so... This is the smallest generation. Um, they didn't speak out about social issues. They fell in line, and they understand that to, to be involved in society, they worked within the system. They worked between the lines. They didn't step out of the lines. Um, so that would be from 78 to 98. Like I said, my father was born in 42, so he's 81. Um, he's part of this generation. Baby boomers, you guys all know about boomers. There's a bunch in this room, I'm sure. Um, you guys, sorry about Jimmy Buffett, by the way. I'm sorry about that. Um, I like Buffett too, no doubt. I know, look at him up in the top row. He's falling over. That was, uh, that was hard to take for a lot of people, you know, but that was representative of a particular age group, a particular generation, right? Um, relevant generations of modern society, they're hardworking people. Um, they're present, technology advances in the last 50 years, meaning they've seen the range from very simple life, some struggles, up through modern day today. Um, they have a little bit of struggle with modern day only because they like the, the typical and traditional values of when things were a little bit simpler, but they're not against today. Uh, they're independent, often misunderstood, similar to millennials. Wait till we get to millennials. That's fun. Generation X, this is my generation. We are literally the best. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> debatable, is that what you said? I agree with you. I agree. Um, we knew life before technology, meaning, not technology, but 
life before advancements in technology, serious advancements, uh, cell phone, internet, email. My first email address was freshman year of college. I mean, I remember going on, <laughs> I used this joke before, but I used to go on AOL, you know, direct messenger and try to pick up single moms, man. It was fun. You know what I mean? Like, that's what we did with, with AOL and AIM, right? Anybody remember that stuff? Not that you're picking up single moms. I'm just saying, do you remember, like, the direct messaging? And so in the chat rooms, right, the ee you know what I mean? Like, dial-up modems. And, um, and that's when things started to really change. And so the, the Generation X, the best generation, I call it, because of me, right? 65 to 79, ages 44 to 58. We knew life before technology. We know life today. Meaning we know how to have conversation and we know how to put our heads into our phones. We bridged that gap. And so that's why for us, we can understand and relate to both sides of the coin. See, bridging the gap for me, and the reason why this is called, you guys good with this? I'm not like turning my back to you, so please don't think I am. The thing with bridging the gap is very simple, right? It's being the in-between. And it was this disconnect, and I'm going to talk about disconnect, there's a whole slide on disconnect. The disconnect between young and old. And so this generation, Generation X, is the generation that typically are the ones that pull them together. 79, 18, get over here and have a conversation. You guys have different ways to broker that conversation, different ways to start, but once that conversation gets going, it works. It's the intro, it's the beginning that is the conflict, and we have to find a way to mesh. We have to find a way to bridge that gap. So our generation, the best generation, Generation X, me, a couple of you guys, we're the best. We serve as a bridge for the populations from younger to old. Millennials, man, they get such a bad freaking rap, bro. Like, they get such a bad rap because everything is blamed on millennials. And yet, half the time, it's not even them. Right? Did you know that millennials are 29 to 43 years old? No. I guarantee most of you think they're in their 20s, like mid-20s, you know, this and that, right? We blame millennials for everything. I, it was so funny. When millennials, it was literally like, I think during like the beginning of COVID where like we were blaming millennials for everything, right? Frickin' millennials, frickin' millennials, right? And so on. And like, I remember hearing my father say that. And I just looked at him and I'm like, do you even, do you even know what a millennial is? He's like, yeah, it's that young, those younger kids, man. They, they, they ask so many questions. What's wrong with them? Like, why don't they work? Why don't they? You are so misguided. It's a misguided conversation, right? We're going to break that down today. We're going to talk about it a little bit. But they're greatly misunderstood and often mislabeled. Older people love to blame them. Uh, and uh, obviously, we think they're a lot younger than they are. So have you guys noticed these pictures, by the way? Like Breakfast Club? Anything here? I mean, it's, it's good stuff, man. Great movie. Um, and then Generation Z, 11 to 28, they're exposed to social media. Uh, they were the first generation to be 100% exposed to social media. Uh, they've dealt with violence, school shootings. They don't know what it's like not to be on a device. That's this generation. Very, very different from my upbringing. Very different from the others, right? The boomers and the greatest generation, the silent generation, my generation, right? This is, this is completely different. When you think about time, not to go off on a tangent, I just thought of this myself, but when you think about time and progression in life, the way technology is expanding and growing today, it's faster than it's ever been. 
it's never was like this. We have such advancement that it's happening literally every single day, whereas years and years ago, it happened every couple of years, every couple of months, every year. So the way things are progressing today, we're never, ever going to go backwards, ever. We'll never go backwards. We're always going to go forward. As much as some of us would love to go backwards, we're not. And so you either got to get on or get out of the way. Best thing to do is get on. But get on at your pace and how you can do it. So this is the first generation that is dealing with a lot of things, a lot of heavy shit. My girls are smarter than me. So a little background on my family. Uh, this would be a good time to do it because uh, I have two kids that fall in this category and then I have two millennials also. So I'm 46. My wife's a few years older than me. She had two children very early on from another marriage. From another marriage. Uh, I married, my wife and I have been together, married now 17 years, together for 23 years, I think it's been. Michael and Kendra, my two oldest, 29, 27. And then I have Paige and Lily, 16 and 15. So I have four. Michael lives in Hoboken, New Jersey, which is the uh, city across from Manhattan. Works in New York City, very successful. Just got engaged this past weekend, last Saturday. Um, very happy for him and his girl and his fiance Jenny. They are millennials, and God, are they millennials? There's no doubt, man. There's no doubt. And I can talk about personal stories and struggles with them. And for me, and my difficulty in trying to understand them, there's a disconnect. There's no doubt. There's a disconnect. Uh, and then uh, Kendra. Uh, Kendra is 27, uh, super successful as well. She lives a couple towns over from me, uh, and she does very well in life. And she's a little bit more um, me, if you will, a little more grounded, not so millennial-esque, um, but uh, it's fun. So we have two older and two younger. And then Paige is 16. She's a junior in high school, and Lily is 15. She's a sophomore in high school. Um, like I said, my kids and my wife, they are my everything. So Michael and Kendra were my kids growing up from like five and six years old to where they are today. So I've been a big part of their life. Um, I'm their stepfather, but literally like my kids. Um, and I love it. I wouldn't trade it for the world. But it's cool because I think this is where I get a real good understanding of this type of program where we talk about generations. Because I'm exposed to it. I have so many different layers within my own family, let alone at the firehouse to deal with. So anyway, um, I love it. But my kids, where I was going with this is, they're smarter than I ever, they're probably smarter than me now. They have so much at their fingertips. They're exposed to so much. I had dinner, dinner the other night, we were talking about Israel. We were talking about Palestine. And it's on the news and you know, I'm absolutely terrified of what I'm seeing and I think it's gonna spill over here. This is my personal opinions, all these things. Um, and I had an educated conversation with my 15 and 16 year old about it. And they knew just as much as I did, if not more. There is no way when I was 15 or six, I was still picking my nose, man. And like trying to grab girls, you know what I mean? At 16 years old, like their focus is different. They're intentional. It's very different than how I was. And so we have to recognize that, that that's an important part of the disconnect. And we have to be willing on both sides, the young and old, to find that common ground. Times have changed. They are not the kids you were. I promise you that. So they're exposed to so much more, and they have everything at their fingertips. Gen Alpha, 0 to 10. These are the kids that everything gets shoved in front of their face. Here's an iPad. Go sit down in the restaurant. Parents are failing our children every single day. We have a massive parenting issue in this country. Parents don't want to parent. Parents want to be friends. Parents are too wrapped up in their own shit to care about their kids enough to engage them. 
My wife and I take our children out since they were little, all of them, Michael and Kendra, down to my Paige and Lily. We would go out. We do Sunday fun day in my house. We go to bars, breweries, restaurants. We go out to lunch. We stay home and cook big meals, whatever it is. It's important to be grounded. I still eat dinner with my two kids that are home literally four nights a week if I can. It's important. That's our time. Even if it's 20 minutes, it's our time. But my point is this. Engage. You have to engage. My wife keeps Uno cards in her purse. And so tomorrow is Sunday fun day, and we're probably going to go uh, right up the thruway. I live in northern New Jersey. About 45 minutes to an hour north is like Beacon, New York, Newburgh, New York, Poughkeepsie, New York, right? You guys are probably familiar. They have cool brews, uh, breweries, bars, restaurants. I went to college around there, so I know the area, and it's, it's upcoming. They have a lot of great new places. So we'll go probably tomorrow. We'll go to a brewery, and we'll sit down. I'll get a beer. My wife will have a drink. My kids order whatever they get, and, and we'll sit down. We'll order food, and we sit there, and we play Uno in a restaurant at the brewery, at the bar. And people walk by, and they just stare at us, and they go, what is this? And then they realize that nobody's on their phones at my table because we're engaging each other, we're laughing, we're talking, we're playing a game, we're engaging each other. That is super important. We are too wrapped up in our own shit today to care about those around us. We walk with our heads down, not with our heads up. We need to be walking with our heads up. I need to look at you, are you good today? I'm fine, thanks. Awesome, how about you, you having a good day? So far. That's what matters. <laughs> He's over there, we'll keep him over there. My point is this, walk with your head up, engage people, say hello, give a smile. In New Jersey, they pump our gas. I don't pump my own gas in New Jersey. So every, I mean, shit, my truck, I do so much traveling now. My truck's six months old. I have 35,000 miles on my new truck already in six months. That's how much driving and, and road time I do. And so I'm always in gas stations, literally almost every day I'm, I'm filling up my truck. Two, three dollars to the guy pumping my gas. Have a cup of coffee on me, man. Thank you. What's two, three dollars? I mean, I, to some people, it's everything. For me, I can afford it. And so that's important to me because I can put a smile on that guy's face because I can probably promise you nobody else gave that guy two, three bucks as a thank you. It's just a cup of coffee. Engage people. Become involved. Walk with your head up, not with your head down. When you go out, if you have young kids... I understand tablets matter, phones matter. My kids are on them all the time, I promise you that. But when it's time not to be, engage them. If you don't give them the opportunity to put it down, they won't. It's the same with the firehouse. Don't bitch and moan guys are on their phones all the time if you are too. And then all of a sudden you're going to draw a line and say, all right, guys, time to work. You guys are on your phones all the time. It's bullshit. Meanwhile, you're out in the backyard talking to your third wife. You're talking to your B or C job. Right? You're on your phone just as much. The phone, the tablets, information at your fingertips is no different between young and old today. No different. It's not. The baby boomers are on their phones. My father's on his phone all the time. He's 81 years old. I think I talk on it less than he does. It's not a generational problem anymore, but we like to think it is. The older guys love to think that it's the younger guy's fault. And the younger guys love to point the finger up at the older guys and say, these guys aren't willing to change. That's that disconnect. We're going to get to that. But this generation and why I bring up the Uno cards in my family is because we take proactive steps to engage our kids and to put, oh, I don't have it on me, my phone. Put it off to the side. Keep it in your pocket. Let's play a card game. Let's play Uno. It's Uno. 
We get ruthless. My daughter, Lily, sharpshooter, man, 15 years old, youngest kid. She's me times 10. She'll cut you down. She's tough. She's a tough kid. <laughs> tough kid. Whew. Brutal. I won't even argue with her anymore because I, I end up crying and I, I cry myself to sleep some nights. Um, very proud of my kids and I'm very proud of our family. Um, and it's important to me. And that's a lot of like National Fire Radio for me is bringing those values forward. Those values matter. What I can do at home, I can do at the firehouse. I can engage guys at the firehouse. But it takes work. It takes effort. All these generational things sounds great. But the one thing we all have in common is we're generation firefighter, right? Cool play on words, right? Understanding and mutual respect. It matters. That's what we all share. See, nobody cares on the fire ground if you're 18 years old or 65 years old. Nobody cares. We have the same job to do. Age doesn't matter. Color doesn't matter. Religion doesn't matter when we're on the fire ground. When we're riding backwards, screaming through town, and we got a header two miles away, and we're going to work, and the chief's on the radio advising the first dude we got fire showing from three windows, we know we're going to work. Do you give a shit how old that guy is across from you? How old that girl is in the front seat? Nobody cares. Age doesn't matter. Does it make sense? So then why does it matter at every other step in the firehouse? Why do we let it interfere with our decision-making outside of the fire ground. See, the fire service is cool, right? Because experience matters. And we need guys with experience. We need these older guys there. See, us young guys, I like to think I'm still young, 46. I'm not, I'm starting to feel really old. This morning, I felt good. I didn't drink last night, but I'm not as young as I used to be. I'm a little creaky in the morning now compared to what I used to be. But the thing is this, right? We need the older guys to educate the younger guys. The experience comes through not just on the fire ground, but in the firehouse. And when we have this disconnect and we pull apart from each other and we point the fingers instead of hugging it out, we're not getting anywhere. And it's creating a divide greater and greater within the fire service. It takes work on both sides. Age is not the problem. The generational values are not the problem. It's not a young versus old. It's, you're an asshole, figure it out. I mean it. Like, there's no reason why an 82-year-old guy in the volunteer firehouse sitting there can't have a conversation with a 22-year-old guy in the firehouse and find that common ground. That's important. It's the same with on the fire ground. I send a 30-year-old guy to the rear by himself as an OV firefighter. I need him to open up, make entry, maybe VES, whatever your policies, procedures are. I'm trusting that guy, whether he's 30 or 22, or 53, he's riding that seat and that's his job, I don't care how old he is. We should have done our job to give him those tools and experience necessary to do that job. Why aren't we doing that in other facets of the firehouse? So we're generation firefighter. Understanding mutual respect goes a very, very long way. Nothing? Jeez, guys, killing me. So, do you, know the, do you guys know who these people are? Walter. Thank you. Right? <laughs> Absolutely. And Styler and Waldorf in the, in the uh, balcony of the Muppets, right? I grew up on the Muppets. Anyone else grew up on the Muppets? I mean, my kids hate the Muppets, and I'm like, I don't understand this. And they're like, it's so dumb. And I'm like, no, it's not dumb. Anyway, um, you know when Scooter takes his glasses off, his eyes come with it? Did you know that? Yeah. Um, shut up, old man. How often do we hear that? 
How often do we, we hear it all the time. You ever tell your father or your grandfather to shut up? Hell no. You know why? You get smacked. You know, I got smacked. I remember in life growing up, the worst thing you could do when I was a kid was they only had landline telephones, and my mom and dad only talked once a day. My dad was at work. My dad ran our family business, and this is when I was a little kid, eight, nine years old. One telephone, they spoke once a day. So if you pissed off mom in the morning, made her cry. Don't ever make mom cry. You make mom cry, you're fucked. You're so fucked. <laughs> Right? You're in so much trouble, right? Well, smart-ass me made mom cry early in the morning. She talks to my father at, like, lunchtime on the phone. By After lunch, my mom and I are good again. I apologize. We're good. We're laughing. 7 o'clock, car pulls in the driveway. Front door flies open, and here comes Tommy Donch running up the stairs, grabs it. Now, I don't even know what's going on. Like, I don't even, I, don't, I forgot that this happened earlier in the day. So he comes in, he goes, who the hell do you think you are? So I look at him, I'm like, Batman. <laughs> I went for a freaking ride, man. I went for a ride. And I said, what is this? Like, what? He's like, you'd ever make your mother cry. And I was like, oh, my God, I forgot all about it, right? That's the thing. There was that respect. I would never, I talked back to my father once. I'll never talk back to him again. That was a lesson for me. We did that back then. My parents were allowed to. I was spanked as a young kid. I'm not promoting it. What I'm saying, though, was there was this level of discipline that was inherently put into my life that I respect. I respect older people. Whether they deserve it or not, I do. That's a big part of that conversation. Because not everyone deserves it, but you need to give it. It's hard. That is a hard, hard balance put in there. So shut up, old man. I hear it all the time in the firehouse. You guys are so out of touch. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't know your place anymore. You guys should have retired years ago. You guys are in the way. You're a roadblock. You're a speed bump. Get out of the way. We know better. I don't know if that's always the case, but this shut up, old man, it gets old because it doesn't do anything. It doesn't progress us forward. Stupid kid. <laughs> stupid kid. I hear it all the time. I get it all the time. My father says it to me. You're a stupid kid. I'm like, yeah, well, I probably am. There's a big disconnect. Stupid kid is, we want everything now. So who's like uh, 40 years and under, like 40 years old and under? Anyone? Okay, cool. Yeah, nice. So here's the thing, right? You guys only know one speed, fast. You guys never had to wait for an answer. You guys never had to take time because everything is immediate. See, we live in an immediate society today. Who won the 82 World Series? Does anyone know? Exactly. I can go on my phone, I'll tell you in 30, I'll tell you in six seconds. We all get answers immediately and this goes for older guys too. We are no longer having trivia conversations and barroom conversations about current events because everybody freaking cheats. It takes the fun out of it. But my point is this. We live in an immediate society today. We live in a society where everybody expects answers now. That's a problem because not everything can be solved now. Things take time to develop a plan, to implement a plan, to get funding in place. And what happens is 
in the firehouse between young and old, and I can speak to the volunteer side, but I can relate it to the career side and tell a thousand stories that have been told to me. My point is this. When we're trying to do something, the young want it now, and the older will take a few more minutes to think about it. And that causes conflict because they think that the old is the roadblock and the young is pushing it through. So we need to find a balance. There has to be an understanding, a checks and balance. It's funny, I watch social media, I watch the media, everybody talks about the fake media and how, they're, you know, how, they, how they put together their agenda and all that. I'm not disagreeing with it, right? I can't stand the news. The nightly news sickens me this day and age. And it has nothing to do with agendas or anything else. It has to do with the fact that there's just not independent news reporting anymore. I don't believe anything that I see anymore. I really, really don't. I'm finding it troubling. And I can tell you a story about Hawaii in a minute that will put that case in point. But where I was going with this is this, right? Is where we are today. It's becoming more and more troubling. Um, you know, I just lost my train of thought. But let me tell you the Hawaii story, and I'll come back to it. I apologize. I just I went off there for a sec. The Hawaii story is this. I'm with Chief Amos, who took us to Hawaii, had us there. Um, he, did a, he did a thing with the Wall Street Journal. He did an article with the Wall Street Journal, and he gave them information about the fire that occurred there. And the reporter gave him all the assurances in the world that it would be properly reported and that the information would be reported. They put the article out, and the article basically says the, for the headline of the article is fire grows while fire crews take lunch break. I don't know about you guys, but my fire department's never taken a lunch break, right? If there's work to be done, we don't get lunch. I mean, it's just a fact of life, right? As much as some guys want lunch, you know, we don't do that. So he's on the phone with the Wall Street Journal reporter. He's like, you're misreporting. She says, yeah, but the first sentence in the article says that you were cleaning up from the first fire going to get lunch when the second fire started. He's like, yeah, but that's very different than your title. She's like, well, my reporting was accurate, but the editorial staff said we need a better article or a better title. Because why? Nobody's reading print. Everybody's on social, and so you have to have clickbait to get people to the article. So the article could be factual, but the headline could be whatever it wants, right? Because it's a headline read. Scary. Scary. So I forget where I was going, and I apologize. I totally spaced where I was headed with this conversation. But there's this disconnect between young and old. It's things take time, checks and balances. We have to be willing to have a system in place where we want everything today, yet we need to make sure that that's what we want. Oh, I know where I was going with this. So the younger generation, they push back, you know, like not to get political. I'm not going down this road. Please don't think I am. But it's like so many of these like, Frat boy young kids are like, USA, USA, and all this stuff, right? And they want it, you know, we want this, we want that, but they want it their way. There's no common ground. We have to be willing to understand the issues. We have to take emotion out of it and understand fact. And when we don't get facts presented and we're not willing to be patient, we can lose. We love the blame like I was just talking about, right? This is one thing that every single generation has in common because when's the last time any of you made a mistake? I have never made one, right? 46 years, I'm perfect, right? We don't like, I, I, can, tell, I can tell you're pretty squared away, so I believe it. We don't make mistakes. We don't. I started off this program saying I'm guilty. I'm guilty of everything that I'm talking about today. So... That means that I'm guilty. I've made mistakes. We all make mistakes. How easy is it for you to admit your mistake? Is it easy? No. 
It's never easy. We never want to have to fall on our own sword. We never want to have to tell our children we were wrong. We never want to have to tell our spouse that maybe I jumped to a conclusion or, you know, that I didn't think it through. We don't, certainly don't want to admit in the firehouse that we made a mistake. And so what do we do? We typically double down on our mistakes, which is even crazier because we let our ego get in the way, right? So the one thing we all do have in common is we all make mistakes. It's what you do with those mistakes. Firefighting is built on making mistakes. If you don't learn from your mistakes on the fire ground, if you don't learn from your mistakes in life, you're not doing life and you're not doing firefighting correctly. We all make mistakes. I don't care if you have 50 years in the fire service, there is something that you did wrong today on the fire ground. There's something you did wrong in training. There's something that didn't come together the way it should have. Now, do you recognize that or do you bury your head in the sand and move on? Problem is, is we typically bury our heads and move on. You talk about fired EMS services in the volunteer service. I'm so freaking tired of the volunteer fire service pretending there's not a problem. I'm so tired that cities don't admit that they need more staffing to give the absolute best resources to their residents. We need to have real conversations. We can't pretend. We cannot live in a world of pretend. This is not Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. Get on the trolley and go to the pretend world. It's not a thing. We have a job to do, and the public doesn't care. We are sworn to do everything for them. And the problem is, is we like to lie to ourselves. We like to pretend that we're better than we are. I used to think I was the freaking cat's meow, man. I was a volunteer fire chief at 27 years old. You couldn't tell me anything I didn't know already. That's how I was. That was Tommy Boy, right? That's that attitude. I thought I knew everything, and I had every answer to everything. What's really fun, though, is fast forward to where I am today. I'm so humble and grateful for the opportunities that have been presented to me and the experiences that I've had that I am a completely different guy today than I was literally five years ago and then take it all the way back to 20 years ago. Totally different guy. Back then, man, Tommy Boy was me, 100%. What do you got, Chief? So uh, some of the guys in the room know my old deputy chief, Zush. Zush Ogiani. Great name, right? Mm. And I'm at the firehouse pissing and moaning about these young twats. And he looks at me and he says, if everyone was as perfect as you, yeah. this place be boring. And um, I, I hold that dear. I hold that dear. Moisha, would, would you say that? <laughs> There's so much value to that, though, when you think about it, right? This episode's brought to you by Taylor's Tins. Taylor and his crew at Taylor's Tins have been manufacturing aluminum helmet fronts since 2017. With over 200,000 tins in the market, they are a leader in the helmet front space. Custom design, one-offs to department orders, they can turn them around within 24 to 48 hours. Customer service is what they pride themselves on, and they provide nothing but top-shelf product and service to their customers. Check them out at taylorstins.com and check out their full line of product offering. They've always been a very strong supporter since day one with the National Fire Radio podcast and platform. And Taylor and his crew have become dear friends of ours, and we appreciate the support. And at checkout, for a little extra bonus, use coupon code NFR sent me. That's NFR sent me for a discount on your order. Exclusions do apply. Anyway, check out taylorstins.com. 
for the latest and greatest offerings from Taylor and his crew. And in the words of Taylor, stop burning up leather. This episode is brought to you by the Affordable Standpipe Prop. Let's break it down real quick. Steve and the crew at Affordable Drill Towers is doing it again. They've created this fully custom and fabricated standpipe prop to support the fire service. I'm telling you right now, this is a game-changing piece of training equipment. And I want to hop into it real quick. It is designed with a 4-inch manifold of high-strength galvanized Schedule 10 pipe. The cart manifold are powder-coated red for a durable finish, meaning it's not just a talking piece. It's not something you tuck away on the shelf. This is a training prop that can be wheeled into the classroom and then brought out onto the training ground. And so let's talk about that. In the classroom, there's nothing better than having a hands-on prop in front of the students, in front of the fire companies that are there to learn about standpipe and FBC connections. Having that prop in the classroom allows for a great instructional lecture. And then from there, take the standpipe theory and translate it to the training grounds. You could wheel the cart out that's on casters. You wheel it out into the parking lot. And that same training prop that you just used hands-on in the classroom can now be used hands-on on the training ground by pumping into it and flowing out of it. It offers such versatility in its approach. It has a two and a half inch Siamese connection, seven two and a half inch outlets, six of which are standpipe valves, has a water motor gong, sprinkler head with a control valve, and a system pressure gauge. You can also upgrade and put three of the most common field adjustable PRVs. I'm telling you right now, this is a game-changing training prop that needs to be in every fire company or training department across the country. Reach out to Steve and the crew, info at affordabledrilltowers.com. Ask for a demo, ask for information, or check them out on social media and YouTube. There's plenty of content out there that shows you exactly what the affordable standpipe prop can do for you. I'll tell you, I am, I am uh, forever grateful for the lessons that have been given to me um, and for my own mistakes. And I can promise you that years ago, I would have told you I've never made a mistake. And then I would go home from a fire and I know I didn't force that door well enough. I know we could have made a better push. I know I should have been able to give another five minutes in that cylinder, but I'm fat and out of shape. I'm lying to myself. You lie to yourself. We don't want to. We do it every day. We tell, it, we tell ourselves something that might not be true probably every single day just to make our own stroke our own ego, make us feel better. I'm trying not to do that. I have focused more on my life on my abilities to give back, on my own skills. I have a lot of work to do in a lot of different areas, but at least I'm starting to have real conversations with myself. See, the problem is, and I talked about it before, fulfillment. If you're not good in your own life, you're not going to be good in the firehouse. If you can't get your personal life together, how can you get your career life together? How can you be trusted? If you can't be trusted on the outside, I can tell you throughout my years in the fire service, I've seen guys come and go, guys that have embezzled money, Guys that have spousal abuse, womanizing, drugs, alcohol, all of it. It's a nature of this beast. A lot of it comes through the fire service. With National Fire Radio, I've really gotten to learn so much about what the fire service is about. And I've talked so much about substance abuse and all the things that parallel a career like this. And so if you have that at home and you're hiding that, it does come through in your other life. It certainly does. And so you have to look at home. You have to get things in order. You have to be good. I know a guy that embezzled money from so many different people, and the guy still walks around like he's, uh, like he's the most popular guy and everybody loves him. 
and everybody MFs that guy behind his back. Can't be trusted. And now we're going to put him on the fire ground? Think about that. You have to get your house in order. You get your house in order, you get yourself in order, and you're going to be a playing participant on the fire ground. I believe that. You have to be fulfilled and do well in your personal life to be a good fireman. Firmly believe that. So we're talking about all these things, pointing blame, finding connection, disconnection, all this stuff. Just blame me. We like to blame technology. We're blaming the phone. I went down this road a little bit before, so we can talk about it a little bit more. We can expand on it. But just blame me. I mean, I'm that guy. I'm the guy that put the fire service, not the guy, but put the fire service on social media. I've now taken it to a platform that I can guarantee at least two or three guys in this room said social media, social media has destroyed the fire service. Cell phones have destroyed the firehouse. Anybody ever say that? Are you willing to say it? I'll say it. I think I said it at one time, right? I really do. Like, I think that that, I probably said that. And now I have a social media and podcast platform that represents the best of the fire service. It is an incredible tool that can be used. Everybody wants to blame the phone, but nobody wants to take a look at themselves. So you know what? Don't look at yourself. Blame me. You can blame guys like National Fire Radio. I got this cool logo we built. Right? Oh, it's cool. Social media. Yeah. Great. What do we do with that? We got to build a brand that represents the very best of the fire service. As much as there's bad on social media and on the internet, there's actually very good there too. Think about it. How do you guys learn how to change a headlight in your truck, change your oil in your lawnmower, figure out how to put that motion camera in your backyard, right? Where do you go? YouTube. I'm on YouTube all the time. How do you do this? How do you look at this? You can literally find anything you want there. It's incredible. Oh, shit, I'm boring the guy. Sorry, man. I'll do better. If you guys, no, if you guys want coffee or anything, please, you're not hurting my feelings at all, but please um, feel free to get up and leave. Um, so anyway, so you can blame me, right? You can blame me for all of it. Or you could look at yourself and say, well, maybe it's not the phone. Maybe it's my behaviors. Maybe it's me. It's maybe how I'm carrying myself today. Maybe I'm walking with my head down, not my head up. <laughs> you guys ever watch those videos where people are on their phones and they fall in the fountains? <laughs> it's, a, it's a really good example of what's happening in life today. I got, a, I got a lot of opinions there, Chief. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, but that's my point. When you're walking with your head down, like firemen, firefighters, we need to walk with our heads up. What do we do when we're walking up to the fire ground? Where's your focus? On the building. Going ahead. Looking at your surroundings. Right? I love to come up the street. If you're, if you're arriving second due or third due, come up the street. I like to look at the apparatus, the positioning, where they are. I like to look at the building. I like to see what lines are pulled off the rig, right? Where our ladders are thrown. We have to take in so much information before we even think of crossing the threshold into that building. It is literally just being poured into you, data. And as you do it more and more, your eyes get wider and wider. And then when you start to wear a white hat, it even gets wider and wider, right? That comes with experience, but we have to walk with our heads up, not with our heads down. Walk with purpose. Walk with visibility, walk with vision. Walk with creativity. 
Get excited about where you're going. We all love going to fires. We're firemen. We all love going to fires. I don't wish a fire on anyone, but if there is going to be a fire, I want to be there. So walk with purpose and want to be there. Look at the place. Size it up. Talk to the first chauffeur. Talk to the chief walking in. Check into the command. This is what we do. Why don't we do that in life? Why aren't we walking around with our head up, looking around? Why are we walking with our heads down? Because we're too focused on our own bullshit. Why the disconnect? Foundation, morals, ethics, and values, communication, lack of understanding and respect, patience, environment. You guys know how to read. I didn't need to read them to you, but I wanted to read them to myself. These are all certain things, right? And we're going to go through each one of these uh, in the next few slides. And so there's a lot of different reasons why there's a disconnect. Um, we're going to go through that. So the foundation. I'm a firm believer that without a solid foundation, everything built upon it is shaky. It just makes sense. I mean, if you're building a home, if you're building a, anything, you need to have a strong base. Without a strong base, you don't have a strong future, right? And so brick by brick, block by block, that means that everything that goes into it matters. It's every brick. It's every mortar joint. It's every, I'm not a big construction guy, so I'm not going to try to pretend you guys, you guys, some of you guys look like you could slap buildings together in a day. Um, so I'm not going to pretend I know all the lingo, but my point is this. Every part of the build matters, and where we take shortcuts, we create a shaky foundation. Shortcuts don't work in this business. Career volunteer, shortcuts don't work. And this goes back to that personal belief in yourself, too, that if you think that you can take shortcuts, you're wrong. They will catch up with you. It might be 20 years in your career, and you've gotten away with it, but that 21st year might catch up to you. Don't bullshit yourself. Give you, cut yourself some slack. Understand that it's okay to make mistakes. Understand that everybody needs to do better, and you find your way there. You find your way to get there. Another one I'm losing. So, <laughs> so, but you see what I'm saying? Foundation matters, and it's block by block, brick by brick. Every part of the equation matters. When we build a foundation, what do we do? We got to dig down. We got to find bedrock. We got to find firm ground. Everything has to be built on a firm foundation, or the strongest foundation can still fail. And so how do we do that? Well, take it to the firehouse. Take it to the mission of the fire service. It's protecting the integrity of the fire service. It's explaining to people why the fire service matters. It's explaining why roots matter. We need a firm base. If you don't have a firm base today, it doesn't mean you can't have one tomorrow. It takes work. And you're going to see, I end this show with a slide that basically says, do better, do work. Everything takes work. Problem is, we're all getting very complacent and lazy in life. Things are getting a little simpler at times for us, and so we're not putting in the hard work that we used to put in. I want to get to that in a minute because that might ruffle some feathers. Um, our roots are different, but the mission is the same. Again, that goes back to our people. We all come from different walks of life. We all come from different places. I promise you this, something I tell my children that are in high school, sophomore and juniors in high school, you don't know what each kid goes through when they get home. It could be the most popular kid in school. It could be the most bullied kid in school. You don't know what their home life is. I've seen it firsthand with my girls and their friends and people in their high schools. You don't know what they're dealing with at home. They could have a really bad deal at home. The kid that's acting out in school 
might just need a friend. I'm the kid that rode the school bus, and I was a fucking bully. I bullied kids. I was the big kid on the school bus. I'm telling you, I went to, so I was my senior class president for high school, class of 1995, Indian Hills, go Hills. I was senior class president, kind of popular. I ran with the cool crowds. I was a jerk. I was. I remember in seventh grade, I was riding a school bus. I thought I was smart. I was the big kid on the school bus. And uh, this story I tell on the podcast quite often because this was one of the most humbling experiences of my life. Um, I was being a jerk. Kareem El-Taki, an Egyptian kid, kicked my ass. That kid laid me out with a shot that I never saw coming. I had a shiner on my face for probably six weeks. Walked around with a cone of shame on me. You want to talk about a humbling experience? There's always somebody bigger, stronger, and better. It's going to come. Somebody's going to humble you. Somebody's going to knock you down. It's what you do with that. At the time, I didn't understand the value of it. I thought it was a sucker punch. I didn't understand the value in any of it until I got a little bit older. Fast forward, um, I'm doing my high school reunion. I think it was our, shit, I don't even know, 2015, I guess it was, 15. So whatever, that 30, 20 years, whatever it was. 20-year uh, or 20-year reunion, we're doing it. Kareem Altaki is there. I walk up to him at the bar and I said, hey, man, I'd love to buy you a drink. So he's like, oh, yeah, nice to see you, this and that. And I said, hey, I want to thank you. And he said, for what? And I said, you humbled me in a way that nobody else has ever humbled me in my life. That was hard. This is where the appreciation I have for National Fire Radio is so rewarding for me. Is I don't think if I ever went down this road and got to talk to people like you and to really explore myself. The first slide was authenticity. If I'm not authentic with you guys and I don't tell you my stories... I'm not doing this any justice. So I got to tell this story. It's hard for me to tell, man. I got my ass kicked. And then I bought the guy a fucking beer 20 years later, 30 years later. And I thanked him for that. And if I didn't do this, and I didn't have this idea of self-reflection and understanding that I need to be better in life myself, I would never have this conversation. I would have never admitted this. I would have never bought that kid a beer, that guy a beer. I respect him. The guy's like a cardiovascular surgeon. He makes probably 100 times more money than I'll ever make. And I bought him a beer, and I said, thank you for kicking my ass and humbling me. I didn't understand it at the time, but I certainly understand it now. And it allows me to tell this story that I hope maybe resonates with one of you. I tell this story to my kids, and I tell it on the podcast when it comes up and it fits the narrative, because I think it's important. It's important. So anyway, I got my ass kicked. Kareem Altaki, man, tough kid. Um, sucker punch, by the way, just saying. <laughs> Did he remember doing it? He, oh, yeah, absolutely. I was the big kid. I mean, he got off the bus, and he was like, you know, walking into school. I mean, you know, he was Rocky, you know what I mean? I was the Russian, and he, Rocky just smoked my ass. The foundational roots, these are things, so the last, the last bullet here I think is important. Um, a lot of our older guys are very protective of that foundation. 
They were there when there was a lot of struggle. See, things are easier today. I believe that. I think my life, my upbringing, we always try. I know from my kids, I'm more present. I give more to my kids than my parents ever gave me and what their parents did for them. Every generation, we are making it easier for those kids. I know we are because I want to give my kids everything. I want to do more for them. I want them to have an American Express card. I'm like, what am I doing? This is the craziest thing in the world, right? Think about that. It's freaking insane, right? My point is this. We always want to make it easier for the next generation. So when that happens, we do create entitlement because they didn't have those struggles that the generation before did. But it's also the generations before. It's their fault, too, because we've created this level of entitlement. One of my favorite conversations is when people bitch about millennials. I love it. Because I'm like, you fucking created them. You created that sense of entitlement. You're responsible. Those kids don't come out and become entitled overnight. It's because of what you built for them. The foundation you gave them. You have created the entitlement. There's nothing wrong with that. We don't need to point and blame. What we need to do is have real conversation and figure out a way to navigate that. It's creating an entitled lifestyle for them, giving it, making it easier. In the firehouse, fire company culture, the progression of the job, you guys fighting to go from two to four on a rig, you guys fighting to get overtime in the volunteer service, you guys fighting for a new piece of apparatus, right? Whatever the, whatever the conversation is, whether career or volunteer, it's always been easier for the next generation. It just has. I mean, guys, one of the slides in here is nostalgia. Everybody's like, I want to go to more fires. I want to ride on the back of fire engines. No, you don't. You guys, you want to ride an open cab rig going to a fire in the middle of a freaking blizzard? I don't. It's cool on paper. Looks good in the photo. Do that seven times a night like they were when the Bronx was burning. And tell me that you're man enough to do that. Probably aren't. Real conversation, especially when we file grievances over bullshit. Especially when the fire service, we're bitching at each other because of something stupid. There's no way in hell you guys want to go to fires in an open cab in the middle of a blizzard going to seven jobs a night in the Bronx. You don't. You can't. You're not built like that. But that's okay. But you have to accept that and understand that. The foundational roots of our companies, departments, and organizations matter. We have to be protective of that. As much as we want to progress and move forward, the younger generation has to understand this matters. Because so much blood, sweat, and tears has gone into that, that it cannot just be undone, torn down, or shit-talked like we do today. We do not value the past the way we should. And it's because everything is immediate today. This could have taken 50, 60 years to build, and you could literally tear that apart in six months if you let it. Scary. Disconnect, that's a big part of it. Young versus old. Morals, ethics, and values, do you guys have any? I like to think I have a few of each. Um, morals, it's the standards of behavior, beliefs concerning, was acceptable. I'm not going to read these. The point is this. Do you have it? Is it important to you? 
Doing the right thing is always doing the right thing. How often do we shy away from having hard conversations? Often. Regularly. Almost every day. I've come to believe, I've, I've come to a place in life where I hire and I fire. We put so much in the private sector, we put so much thought into hiring people, and then we coddle them and hide them when it's time to fire them because they don't produce because my own ego gets in the way. Hire everyone. Fire people that aren't, that aren't uh, producing. Think about it. Now, I know it's a little bit different in the fire service. You can't. There's unions. There's rules. There's all these things. I'm talking about the private sector. For me, what I've come to understand is hard conversations matter. It makes a difference. When you're willing to have hard conversations, when you're willing to punch something in the face, you get rid of the entitlement. Because when we let shit fester and we let the little things go because we don't want to have a hard conversation, we don't want to address Joe for his attitude or his lack of professionalism or his lack of operational abilities on the fire ground. We shy away from that conversation. We're now allowing for that to fester and we've created entitlement. So if you're not willing to confront the guy next to you, if you're not willing to have those hard conversations as a boss, as a fireman from peer to peer, or as a chief to one of your company officers, and you're like, oh, I'm going to let that slide. Now, there's things you can let slide, don't get me wrong. But when it affects the foundation from which you're built, it creates entitlement. It creates breakdown. And so doing the right thing is always the right thing. As hard as the right thing is a lot of times, let me tell you something, man. You want to talk about hard? Walk in and fire three people and tell them you're staying, even though you're the boss's kid and you suck. Take it back to my story earlier, 2008, 2009, because I had to do that. I disrupted three people's lives when I was fat, drunk, and lazy, right? But I picked up my game because of that. I owed it to them. I owed it to my father. I owed it to everything. I finally grew up and learned that. Maturity matters. My point is this. Doing the right thing is always the right thing. Have those conversations. The longer you let them fester, the longer you let shit go, in the firehouse, in the fire company, in your fire department. Guy drops the ball on the fire ground, address it. But address it correctly. There's a big thing that we've lost track of today, and that is delivery. How do we deliver a message? How do we talk to people? Do we talk down or do we talk to? Takes me right here. Right? Perfect. When I saw that picture, I was like, this is gold. I know the quality is not great, but uh, that's what happens when you steal shit off of Google. Um, <laughs> communication. We all know communication matters. Like, communication is literally one of the most important things in life. You communicate at home. You communicate with your wife, your husband, your kids, right? You communicate at the job. You communicate with the firefighters. You communicate on the handy talkie or the portable radio on the fire ground, right? All these things. Communication is what we do all day long. Are you good at it? I was terrible at it. Like when I was younger and I was a fire officer and a fire chief, I would tell you what to do. Like that's what I just told you what to do. When I was home, I wouldn't listen. My daughter would be like, hey, Dad, can you take me over to Bella's house now? And I'm like, where are you going? She's like, I'm going to Bella's. And I'm like, were you going to ask? She's like, I asked you earlier. You said no problem. I wasn't listening. Poor communication. 
I was too wrapped up in my own shit, right? How do you deliver? How do you talk? How do you listen? It's all part of communication. Talking for the sake of talking, that's what I was talking about before, obviously, right? Barking orders, you talk because I'm in charge. You're going to do what I tell you because I'm in charge. Does not foster a good environment. Who's talking? Yeah, we all know those guys, right? I think one of the most important things that it, I talk a lot, as you guys can tell, I haven't taken a breath since I got up here. Um, but the one thing that I've learned with National Fire Radio and the podcast is, is, believe it or not, as much as I talk, I listen 10 times more. Listening is done a few different ways, and I don't think we talk about listening enough either. Listening for me is not just sitting back and sitting back in my chair and just being dialed in and listening. It's also watching. It's absorbing. It's learning. I'm lucky. I'm one of those guys that can walk in a room, and within a couple minutes, I can break down every single person in that room and figure it out. I just have that salesmanship about me. I have that, I don't know, that, that thing that I can do, right? I'm a salesman by trade, right? So, like, I can deliver a message. But I never understood until really the last few years about how important the listening side was. I wish when I was a younger fire officer and a fire chief that I listened more than I talked. But all I did was talk because when you talk a lot, it's because you think you know everything. What I've done with National Fire Radio is I get to sit in rooms with people that are so much smarter than me. And now I sit back and I listen and I'm such a better person because of that. Because I surround myself with people I want to emulate. I surround myself by people that carry themselves to a different tune, a better tune. And I want to be a part of that. Be inspired by people. Find people that push you. Find people that inspire you. I never understood how cool this was until I get to do it now. I get to travel all over the country talking to firemen, firefighters all over the country. And I just sit there in awe and I listen to their stories and experience and I learn so much from them. And then I go home and I want to be more like them. That's important. It's important for mentorship, mentorship in the firehouse, but it's also mentorship in life, how you conduct yourself as a husband, as a father. That all matters. So listen. Don't just talk. Listen. Um, do you understand where they're coming from? Empathy. Man, do we lack empathy. Like nobody's got empathy. We don't, I, don't, I don't care. And it's funny because sometimes I don't. And then other times I need to and I don't. And then sometimes I do and I care too much. It's, again, that conversation, that slide of I'm guilty. We're all guilty of it. We all need to have more empathy for one another. We all need to understand that it goes back to that conversation that I told my kids. You don't know what's happening at home. You don't know where these people are coming from. You don't know what happens behind closed doors. You can have a guy in your firehouse that is acting out or, or has pulled away. Are you reaching out to them? Are you asking them questions? Are you saying, hey, Joe, haven't seen you lately, man, in the volunteer firehouse. Everything good? Like things change at work? Everything okay at home? I mean, do you even care enough to do that? I never used to. And then the guy comes around like three weeks later, he shows up for call. You'd be like, where the fuck you been? We do it all the time in the firehouse. In the volunteer side, the career side, you can see guys, you live with them. You understand when they're acting different. You understand when they're not themselves. Do you ask? Do you have a conversation? Hey, Joe, coming back from that run? 
Like, hey, Joe, you good? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. Right away. No, he's not. Okay. Hey, man, whatever you need. Like, I'm here. Do you have that buy-in to your people? Do your people believe that you actually believe in that? Or is it just window dressing? Are you a company boss and you say you're into your people, but you sit in your office? Or you're a volunteer fire chief and it's drill night and you sit in your freaking office? Or are you out with your people? Are you learning who they are? Do you know their names? Do you know your wi their wives' names? Do you know their children's names? I make a point of trying to learn every single guy that I meet who they are. And this goes for National Fire Radio, too. The people I meet, the people I interview, the people I go to conferences with, the people I speak with, I want to get to know them. Hey, give me your number. I'd love to connect with you down the road. It'd be great. My Rolodex is amazing, man. You should see my phone. It's freaking cool. I got people from every state all over the world, some of the biggest names in the American Fire Service, at the touch of a call. We're friends now. I'm in these chat groups with some of the biggest names in the American Fire Service. And I just pinch my I don't even talk at them. I never say a word because I don't belong there. But they let me in. That makes me better. But buy in. Empathy. Believe in it. Believe in your people. This is where those barriers and that disconnect gets dropped when you start asking questions. 75-year-old Bob, maybe his wife's not doing well. Maybe she's got cancer. You know what it means to him when a 22-year-old kid calls him on the phone or just stops by the house or when you drive past his house, you honk the air horn coming back from a run? Do you know what that does? I'm getting emotional because there was an older guy, Jack Willer, on my fire, in my firehouse. He was an amazing guy. lived up until 90, I don't know, late 90s. He was driving. He was, he was such a beautiful individual that even in his early 90s, he was driving from New Jersey to Philadelphia twice a week to transport children to the children's hospital with the Shriners. That guy, after his wife passed, he took, he, he took a big leave from the firehouse for many, many years to take care of his wife. After his wife died, all he had was his dog. Precious was the name of his dog. And he would start coming around the firehouse again, and he would bring Precious with him. I would bust that guy's stones to no end. He was like 93 years old, and I would bust his balls. And he'd bust mine right back. And it was one of the most beautiful relationships I've ever had with a human being because it was genuine, because I actually cared about him, and he actually cared about me. And we were 100 years apart. My point is this, age doesn't matter. Generations don't matter. Do you buy into your people? Do you believe in your people? Do you do the work? It takes work. I challenge you this. I do something, um, it's been hard the last few weeks because I've been traveling a ton and I've just been so busy. Um, but once a week I try to go through my phone, I go like this and I call someone randomly. I look at who it is. I'm like, cool. I haven't talked to him in a while. Call him. Hey, Chief, how are you? Hey, Jeremy, what's going on? Nothing. I had 10 minutes in the car. I was driving. I just wanted to call and say hello. It goes a very long freaking way, man. You develop and create relationships that matter. When you go all in on people, people will go all in on you. You want an environment and you want a firehouse or a fire company that is going to win, that's the environment. It takes work. Do you want to do the work? We say we do. We're going to leave here today. What do you do with the message from here today? 
And again, guys, I'm guilty of this too. I'm not leaving here running out going, I'm the God's gift to, to creating culture in the firehouse because I suck at it. Because it's hard. When you have to put rubber to the road, it's hard. I get it. It takes work. <laughs> this is always my favorite. People get so mad at me. I'm like, just do better. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm like, just do better. But I'm giving you all I got. I'm like, no, you're not. You can do better. Do better. It's not me telling you to do better. It's me wanting you to tell yourself to do better. Push yourself. I love challenging people. I love pushing people. I love giving challenges to people. Because I've learned that giving myself challenges is just as important. I never used to. I never used to challenge myself because I used to bury my head in the sand. Now I like to challenge myself. Do better. Do this. Do that. So when I tell people to do better, it's I want you to push yourselves to do better. Lack of understanding, obviously. Everyone wants to be right, and compromise is always hard, for sure. But we have to understand, back to some of those other conversations, those generational values matter. Where you grew up in, in, as a baby boomer, where you're hardworking, you've worked for everything you have, and now you're enjoying life, and then you look at the entitlement of the next generations after you. Or you grew up with an iPad in front of your face, and the other guy didn't have technology. Whatever those generational values are, there's a very big disconnect because of how you were raised and what you were raised on. But you still have to get together. We have to bring you together. We have to compromise. You have to respect one another. It's not the generation's fault for having an iPad shoved in their face. It's actually the generation before them. It's their fault. They have allowed it. They're not giving their kids Uno cards. They're giving them a tablet. It's the generation before that creates the generation after. It's their fault, not the generation that's there. And so if that's the case, why are we blaming them and not ourselves? Well, because we don't like to fault ourselves. We don't like to look in the mirror. We don't like to blame ourselves. That is a very, very hard conversation. It goes back to the fire ground where we fall down and we don't do the job as well as we should have done. Are we actually addressing it or are we burying it under the sand and moving on? It takes work, guys. This is, this is no secret recipe. This is just putting it out there, right? One of my favorite ones here is this. With maturity comes clarity most of the time. 46 years old today for me, I'm much more, <laughs> I don't know if I'm more mature. I'm more aged, I guess, experienced. But maturity matters. Maturity matters. You don't know everything at 25. You don't know everything at 35. I certainly don't know everything at 46. And there's a lot of gentlemen here that know a lot more than I do. But I might know something more than they do on something. And so that's where it matters. It's the maturity of how do you have conversations. We need to grow up. We're all men. We're all women. We are adults. This is an adult industry. And I say industry only because National Fire Radio, that's what I do. And People get, well, fire services in an industry, whatever. I don't care. It's just a word. My point is this, is we need to come together. We need to figure out ways to respect the maturity from which people have experience. Experience matters in the fire service. Absolutely does. I mean, you can't tell me it doesn't, right? In most professions, it matters whether you're a master tradesman, carpenter, whatever it is, experience matters. So it's important. We have to understand that maturity comes clarity, and clarity often can lead us down the right path. Um, we all come from different times, places, and so on. Do you guys want to take just a 10-minute break? I mean, I'm not going to go. I probably have another like half hour or so, but I would love questions too.
So if you guys have anything, please don't look at me like, uh, you know, I'm standing up here by myself. I'd love to do interactive with you. Patience. We all lack it. None of us have it anymore. We don't have patience like we used to. Who wants to sit in traffic? I don't. I freaking hate traffic, man. Bro, I had to come from New Jersey yesterday. Last night. So my, I, my buddy has a house in Lake George. So I go up to Lake George, you know, every so often to hang out for a weekend or two or whatever. And on Fridays, if we leave, we either have to leave like early afternoon or you leave late at night because the New York State Thruway coming up, you know, out of New Jersey and up this way is brutal. It's a two-lane highway, and all it takes is some guys that think they want to do 75 and not 95 like I do. I drive like an idiot. Um, they clog up the highway. Last night, I was, I was so annoyed. People with both lanes going the same speeds. And I'm like, this is, this is like cattle. It's terrible. Absolutely terrible. Anyway, that's why you know I'm a New Jersey driver. Um, but none of us have patience anymore. We don't have patience. Like I said, we live in an immediate society today. An immediate society. And so everything is now. We don't have patience. We just don't have patience anymore. We don't let people finish their thoughts and ideas because we know better. I've already heard that argument. I know better. Why can't we just have patience and give the guy three minutes to... to to give us his take on it. He might come out with something that you go, oh, wait, yeah, that's a different take. No, we know better. We all have patience. Nobody debates anymore. It's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We do, we do. It's frustrating. I mean, you know, I'm, there's, a, there's a slide in here that I literally added this morning when I was sitting here because it's been on my mind. It came up in one of my podcasts the other day. Um, and I'm going to talk about that just a little bit, but I, I think it hits this perfectly. <clears throat> the environment, obviously our surroundings influence us. The fire department, the fire company, the community, the firefighters. If you hang out with losers, you're going to be a loser. That's it. It's very simple. Does anybody like, like anybody play sports growing up, right? I'm sure some of you guys, girls, right? I'm sure you have, right? I did. I played high school sports. I got recruited to play Division I lacrosse in college. Went to college, threw that away freshman year because I was fat, drunk, and stupid. I was a fucking loser. Excuse my language. I threw it away. Division I lacrosse recruited to go play Division I lacrosse. Three weeks in, I was like, why am I doing this when I can just party and hang out with girls all the time? Threw it away. I don't have regrets in life. There's a lot of things in my life that were lessons. I don't consider them regrets. Because if I went down the career fire service path, if I played Division I lacrosse, if I didn't do certain things, I probably wouldn't be here today. I don't have regrets. Life has been good to me. I've made mistakes. Do you learn from your mistakes? I'm starting to. Never used to. I'm starting to. You hang with losers. You're a loser. We have losers in the fire service. It's fact. Any career, anywhere in life, you're going to be an accountant, a plumber, the guy that drives Zamboni at the local ice rink. There's losers in those professions too. It's fact. We have losers in the fire service. Not everybody can be saved. Not everybody can be a winner. The world is made of different types of people. If we're all the same and we were all vanilla, it would not be a fun place to live. So we have winners and we have losers. What side of the bench you want to be on?
I'll tell you this, I've hung with losers. I was part of those guys that would like hang out and thought we knew everything, smoking cigarettes at the firehouse and, you know, like tearing it up and this and that. And then you come to realize like those guys never moved on. Those guys haven't done anything to make themselves better. They don't contribute to the firehouse. They might staff the engine so we turn a blind eye to all the bullshit that goes with it. But what value do they bring us? They're losers. Why do you want to be a loser? I talked about National Fire Radio. I get to hang with the coolest freaking people. I get to surround myself with people that make me want to be better. You guys being here, that was gross. You guys being here today, you guys being here today tells me you're not losers. You're winners. You want to be here. So all oh, this guy's eating fruit. He could have got Danish. He got fruit. He's a winner. <laughs> I'm telling you, right? Think about that. You got losers in your firehouse? Don't waste your time with them. Maybe you can bring one or two along for the ride, but if they're too far gone, they're going to drag you down. Don't surround yourself with them. Don't. Move on. Find people that push you to be better. Find like-minded people. Find firemen, firefighters that push you to be the best firefighter. If they're not in your own fire company, go seek them somewhere else. Doesn't mean you don't keep riding where you are to push yourself better. Don't ever sacrifice your morals, ethics, and values for someone else. Ever. Losers will drag you down. They will make you sacrifice your foundation. That's fact. We can't have that. You can't have that. That tears you down. If you're not good in the firehouse because you're hanging out with losers, you're going to become a loser in your personal life. You're going to be a loser for your wife and your children and your second wife and everything else that falls apart in your world because you're a loser. Don't be a loser. It just takes work. But don't be a loser. This is the slide I was just talking about. Fact versus feelings. Oh, man, it's not centered. I did it quick. I did it over here. <laughs> Fact versus feelings. Just like. Um, this is interesting to me. I, I, you guys are familiar with Corley Moore? Runs Firehouse Vigilance. He's another podcast in fire service. Interviews a lot of the big names of fire service. Corley and I have been friends for a long time. And in fact, uh, we were part of each other's beginnings when we, when we started doing this. He's a battalion chief out of uh, Moore, Oklahoma. And his last name is Moore. That's pretty cool. Not named after him. So he's a battalion chief in his own city. Um, but he has a podcast and uh, platform. He speaks across the country, talk, does conferences and stuff. Just a, a friend of mine. We had a podcast not too long ago. We were chatting and we were talking about the ability not to disagree anymore and how having conversation with one another has really changed. And he talked about fact versus feeling. And I had mentioned that a little bit before and I want to get to this slide. I literally just plugged this in this morning here as I was sitting here. Fact versus feeling. This is where we get in trouble. If it's fact-based, we make a decision and we move on. But man, do we put our emotions in it today. Everything is emotionally charged in this world today. Everything. So instead of getting all grandioso on society, let's just talk about the firehouse. Let's just talk about the career, the volunteer. When we put our personal feelings in and we take fact out of it, it's no longer about fact. It's no longer about information that is found to be true. Bless you. And we put our thoughts and feelings into it. The decisions then are being made solely on emotion. 
And that is where we get in trouble when we need to protect something even though we know we shouldn't be protecting it anymore. Or this is where we get in trouble where we've always done it this way and we want to make some changes. Yeah, but we've always done it this way. And this is where the older guys get ruffled a little bit because they're emotionally invested into everything they've put into that firehouse. My father, all these years of my volunteer firehouse, has put so much time, effort, blood, sweat, tears into that firehouse that he absolutely will be emotional in the conversation. And so when we talk about, hey, we need to put paid people in here, who do you think is going to be like, you're full of shit. It's not going to happen over my dead body. I can't blame him. So we have to understand it. We have to understand what his point of view is and why he feels that way. And then we need to articulate conversations around fact. And I firmly believe, and I have done this many, many times. I've sat on panels, roundtables. I've been called into different departments have asked me to come speak with their politicians, speak with their fire commissioners, whatever it takes, right, to push this job forward. We have to have real conversation built on real information. Emotion matters. Feelings, they matter. But just like parenting, my daughter can be upset about something and wants to go to that concert, and it's just a hard no. I understand your feelings. I understand how you feel about this. It's no. Sometimes I just know a little bit better than she does. She's 16. My 16-year-old is a metalhead. Um, it's so cool because she listens to all the same music I do which is super cool. So it's all 80s, 90s rock and rock. I'm a huge alternative guy, obviously, being the generation I am. I mean, we grew up. I mean, I remember the first time I heard it Smells Like Teen Spirit, man, and it was like all over, you know what I mean? I was like, this, anybody understand that reference? No? All right, thank you. Alternative music, what's really cool is when alternative music hit the, hit the airwaves, 80s big hair rock was over that day. That day, all heavy metal bands knew that their careers were done. Oh, hold on. My daughter, you guys having me here today, we were supposed to go see Warrant today. Oh. They're playing in uh, Pennsylvania. My daughter, can we go see Warrant? And Firehouse is opening for them. And uh, this summer, just a little sidebar, uh, we did Metallica Friday night at MetLife Stadium. Uh, Pantera opened for them, which was amazing. Um, it was Mammoth, Pantera, and then Metallica. So it was like... Just me and my 16-year-old, and it was like one of those cool, proud, like, dad moments. It was one of the best nights I've had in so long. And then she says, hey, tomorrow Motley Crue is playing. Can we go? Now, Motley Crue is one of my favorite bands. So it's like, yeah, where? Syracuse. <laughs> the next morning, we're driving to Syracuse. Me, my two daughters, my 15 and 16-year-old, Paige and Lily, and my wife. And we went to go see, uh, it was Alice Cooper, Def Leppard, and Motley Crue. What a freaking concert, bro. They are so old, and without auto-tuning, it would have been so bad. But I was singing so, I wish I put, if I knew I was going to get on this road, I would have put pictures up of me at that concert. Uh, my daughter had a bandana on, my metalhead, she had a bandana on. And I'm like, give me that. And I had a couple beers in me, and I put a do-rag on, and she just looked at me, and she's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, it was awesome. Anyway, it was a lot of fun. It's moments like that that I cherish. Feelings, though. Sometimes I have to tell my kids no. The thing is this. Information matters. We are emotional people. 
Emotion comes into everything, but unfortunately today, we allow our feelings to cloud good judgment at times. Not that that's bad, not that that's wrong, but we have to be conscious and cognizant of that. That when you're making decisions, we have to be sure that they're not just emotionally fueled. They have to be decisions with a fine balance between fact and feeling. When you base it solely on fact, it could always be right. It should be right because doing the right thing is always the right thing. However, you will have fallout because of feelings. So it's not always 100% fact. Can't be because you have to take into account feelings. Does that make sense? Any questions on that? Okay. I don't feel like a college professor. Any, any questions on that, guys? All right. We're going to move on. <laughs> Hell no. I grew up, my father, outside of the firehouse, my father was mayor of my town for 12 years. He was a councilman for 17 years. The guy is the most civic-minded person I've ever met in my life. He cares solely about our town, the town we grew up in. Uh, fortunately for me, uh, I'm able to live in that town, and I raised my family in the same town. And so it's a lot of fun because there's a lot of older families in that town that know my father very well. And so I hear about my father all the time, um, which for me is just an absolute blessing, and I hope that you know, if that happens for the rest of my life. I mean, he's made such an impact on so many people, me included. I mean, I'm his youngest son, and I am Tommy Boy. Like, I am him, which is really cool. So, other words that matter, um, because words actually matter. I'm actually putting together a new keynote, um, a new presentation that I'm going to uh, release next year that is specifically just this, words matter. That's going to be the name of it. And all it is is going to be slides of words, and then we're just going to break down each word and why that matters to the fire service. So hang on. I know it's 11 o'clock. What time do you want me to go till? Like 11:30, Chief? Oh, I'm sorry. You're on your phone. I'm so sorry to, so sorry to bother him. You know? Okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah. I just yeah. If you guys need to get up or whatever, please don't don't hesitate. Um, entitlement. We talked about this a little bit. All of us are guilty of it, and it's a cycle. Poor leadership creates it. I firmly believe that. See, we have a, we have a, now we're going to get, now I'm going to get pretty detailed on some things here. So poor leaders create entitlement all day long because the problem is this, right? Poor leaders don't lead. Poor leaders lack experience and knowledge and, and abilities in their own skills to allow anyone else to be better. See, poor leaders hold people back. Me, I love to push people forward. I want you all to be more successful than me. That's the same reason why growing up, when we raise our children, we give them more. We think we're giving them more opportunity to be better than we were. I don't want my kids to have those same struggles I had. But now I'm starting to think about it, and I'm like, well, maybe I do. Maybe they need those struggles. So every generation, we want more for the generation that we're raising. While our bosses are lacking experience. We have people promoting. We have people... Uh, getting the election in the volunteer service quicker and quicker, younger and younger, less experience. You can gain experience through other means. It's not just all fire ground. It's attending conferences, training, educating yourself at home, YouTube. There's a thousand things you can use. There's a thousand tools today more than ever to better yourself. That's all part of your education and experience. But obviously, hands-on practical experience trumps all of it. We know that, right? 
Poor leaders create entitlement because it goes back to that conversation when they're not willing to have the hard conversations, when they're not willing to put fact in front of feelings, and that's all part of it. We have a society today of terrible leaders. They don't lead. They're too protective of their own shit to put anyone else ahead of them. A true leader wants their people to succeed. A true leader wants their company to be the best on the fire ground. I want my firefighters to promote past me because that means I did my job. I created an environment, instilled those values, those morals, those ethics, that experience into those people to want to do more that will push this job forward. Poor leaders are scared because when their rank and file, the backstep fireman passes them because they're lazy, they don't want to be any better, they're comfortable where they are, but the backstep fireman is working 10 times harder to learn, do, be better, they're going to pass up that officer, and that officer in a poor officer spot will hold that guy back every single turn. Conference hangovers? Oh, I'm going to come home from this, man. I'm fired up right now, right? I love doing this. So I'm going to come home, and I'm fired up, and then I'm going to go to my firehouse, and I'm going to be like, out of here. Conference hangovers. You guys come to these things. What do you do with it when you go home? You're all fired up. You're like, oh, man, that was a cool message. That was a good slide. You know, the chief had a great story to tell. I'm fired up. And then the guy next to you is like, who gives a shit, man? They, like, pull you back down. They drag you back down. Those people that aren't here today pull you back down. You want to hang with losers? You want to run with winners. We have bosses that don't promote their people. We have bosses that don't give the tools to their people. We have guys that are afraid of their own knowledge and skills, and so they can't promote anyone else. They won't push anyone else to be better if they're not better themselves. They're scared. And we've created this environment. And so when we have that, it creates a ridiculous sense of entitlement. Jeremy, yes. Please. We go to the, uh, the millennials and the Zs that ask questions, ask questions, hmm? ask questions. And I think you, you've kind of demonstrated we have to understand that they're asking these questions because they want to know the answers. So you bring up a very good point, Chief. You know what I love? When people won't give you the minute to tell you why, now, there's timing involved. I tell you, listen, Throw that 24, take that window, and search that room. That's not the time to ask why, right? Just let's be honest, right? So there are times to know when to ask the why. But something like that should have already been explained long before that job has to be done. The why is really important, right? Because what I find is the people that aren't willing to give you two minutes of their time to explain the why don't typically know themselves. And so now they're being protective. getting much better now mm -hmm. through your platform and others like yours is the craft. I, I remember the last thing you, you love the job, mm -hmm. the job, mm -hmm. that was the only word. But the craft, we're kind of like the Masons of old. We're a secret society. And the good information out there on the internet is small. It's getting bigger, but so, it's small. So that's it. I think so to a point. Um, I think that there's a lot of layers there. Um, there's a lot of good 
and a lot of bad on the internet. Start there. We, like anything in life, have to weed through it. You have to figure out what's good and what's bad. Now, you're impressionable. If you don't have your own life experience or your own fire ground knowledge and experience, you have to figure out through longevity, chess, not checkers, what's right and what's wrong. And you might emulate or try something because you saw it. I'll give you a perfect example, right? The Cleveland load. You guys familiar with like the Cleveland load of hose, right? It was like this amazing thing. It's a bundle, come down. It's usually used for like mid-rises or, you know, tight stairwells. You flake it out. So you carry the bundle up. I think it's like 100 foot coiled. You flake it out. And when they charge the line, it actually charges in a spiral so that when you go to advance down the hallway, the line will unspiral behind you. I know so many fire departments, that thing was on the internet, it was on YouTube, guys went bananas, this is so smart, this is so good, this and that. There's so many variables involved, and if you don't train on it every single day, it will never, ever work for you. And so the fun thing was, is watching how many people thought it was the greatest thing since sliced bread, but those are the guys that probably haven't gone to the fires, haven't stretched this line under conditions. So what happens is, you start to put that through the paces, and then you come to realize for yourself that what we learned and what this was actually, actually isn't good for us. Sometimes we have to validate the information that we listen to. The other part of the why also, and I said a lot of times people that won't explain the why, it's typically because they don't know themselves. People are not willing to be vulnerable. We are afraid in the fire service to tell people we don't know. I don't know. I haven't done that. I haven't been there. What's going on? Are we getting tossed or something? Not yet, right? Oh, get them off. Go, please. A little more important than me. Um, and so from there, right? So the interesting thing there then, um, where was I? Why? Why? People are asking why. Where was I going with this? You weren't even paying attention. Were you? <laughs> Shit. What happens? I, where was I going with this? Shit. All right. So um, people are asking, oh, you got to validate things for yourself. The reason why people are asking why, it's not just that we don't have the answers for them. It's, oh, okay, vulnerability. We're not willing to be vulnerable. Again, we don't want to own it. I mean, how many years have you been a fireman? 45 years. Imagine if I asked you a question and you're like, ooh. Right? <laughs> but you have probably gotten to a place of gratitude and understanding that if you don't know, you're going to say to the guy, you know, I'll find out for you. I don't know. That's a good one, right? But if it's a fundamental, a foundational issue, something that you should all know, and you're not confident in your own skills and abilities, now it's a test. It's not just an innocent question anymore of why. It's now, is he testing me? Am I being challenged? Because, again, everything is personal. We're so wrapped up in our own shit that we tend to believe that we matter more than the other guy. And so now defenses go up, the walls go up and we go, I can't address this because I don't really know. So I'm going to push the guy away. I'm going to tell him to go, go pound salt. You should know this. Why don't you know? Go find out and you tell me. Right. Meanwhile, the guy's like, I don't, I don't know this answer. He's like thumbing through, you know, it's a challenge for one another. I think what we have to do is be realistic in our approach. We don't know everything, and we've gotten to a point where our bosses tend to believe that they walk on water. Most of them are sinking, and we recognize that. 
And it's probably because a lot of them won't allow themselves to be themselves. And instead of taking it as the ability to push people forward, they're taking it more as what can it do for me? It becomes me over the mission. Does that help? Maybe a little bit. Uh, accountability, stop playing defense, uh, integrity, honesty, character. Pfft, character. Man, character is so important. Um, I think people lack character more than ever these days. Um, I think that it's, uh, it's becoming a real struggle within the firehouse, within the fire ground, uh, watching guys own their stuff, watching guys own their training, own their mistakes on the fire ground. Those are all big things, man. Um, and that comes down to integrity and character. Um, and it goes back to my conversation before. Are you a good person outside the firehouse? Because we need good people at the firehouse. So if you're not good at home, you're not going to be good for us. The public, the people you swore to protect, those are the people that you owe it to. So are you good outside the firehouse so that you can be good inside? Expectations. Do you guys paint a picture of expectations for your firefighters? Do you tell them what's expected of them? I mean, I know we have guidelines, operational procedures, uh, rules and regulations, but is there that informal? So, I wanna, so I'm doing something right now on the podcast. I want to ask you guys, <clears throat> since we'll get a little back and forth since we have some time. What does heavy smoke mean? Let me back it up. Size up. We talk about size up in the fire service, right? Size up comes in so many different forms, so many different layers, right? But here's the thing. Within size up, there's a thousand different variables. So let me ask you this. Based on experience, maturity, and knowledge in the fire service, when you're walking down a hallway, what is considered smoke conditions? How do you call out to the boss to command whatever your structure is? We're not here to debate that. What is it? What's heavy smoke versus light smoke? Compared to what? That's what I'm asking. Compared to what? Big what color? Velocity, right? Volume, right? These are all things. Okay. Does your department know that what heavy smoke is heavy smoke, a term that you guys use? Yeah. Okay. Fine. Fair enough. It's not to judge. Oh, smoke's not heavy. We're not judging any of it. Heavy smoke is a term used commonly in his, fire, in his fire department. Same in my department, heavy smoke. I can promise you that my definition of heavy smoke is going to be very different than that 19-year-old kid's definition of heavy smoke. So how do we break that down? Do they know what the expectations are? Because here's the thing. Chief's out at the curb, and they're investigating a, an automatic alarm, and all of a sudden, a kid gets on the radio and goes, uh, you know, I don't know, engine 39 to command. Uh, we got heavy smoke condition up on number three. How many years in the fire service? 42. 42 years. Comes up, second floor, oh shit, we got smoke on the third. Comes up the stairwell, opens the door, and there's 12 inches of smoke off the ceiling, and you can walk normal. Is that heavy smoke? How high is the ceiling? Cut the shit. <laughs> Very well played. Very well played. My point is this, right? What are, what are we and what are the expectations so that we're on the same page? Because the problem is this, right? They're going to go out to the command post. You're going to go up and you're going to be like, guys, man, this uh, food on the stove down here at the end of the hall. Like I can tell, smell the, you know, the velocity. There's no velocity. It's hanging, right? Or is it charged coming down the hall like heavy smoke, right? My point is this. When they go out to the street, the chief's got something in his mind. 
He's like, I got heavy smoke on number three. We probably have an incipient fire. We probably have something going. It's not food on the stove. It's not a bullshit fire. You know, this is going to be something a little bit more involved because it's heavy smoke. Heavy smoke to me tells me I can't see through it. It's got volume. It's got velocity. And I'm on all fours or I'm duck walking. It's impinging me to walk normally. It's impinging me to do my job thoroughly, easily. Walk through the hallway with my hook, right? Or am I down, you know? What's the difference, right? To the chief out in the street, he's now thinking multiple occupancy, multiple floors. His brain starts circling, right? You get up there and you'll be like, uh, chief, it's food, uh, apartment 309. We got it. You need a fan? No, we're going to self-ventilate. How the hell do you have heavy smoke? Right? We're going we're gonna to open a few windows up here, Chief. We're good. You come back down to the curb, and then the Chief comes back to the firehouse or whatever, depending on your department, whatever it is. Or you come down, or the officer grabs his guy and goes, hey, man, you said there was heavy smoke up there. What the fuck are you doing? And you're like, well, it, it was. I mean, I couldn't see the ceiling, but it was but. My point is this, right? Semantics, right? It's terminology. But is there a level of expectation? Do you tell them what the expectation is? Do you teach them that? Because how do we hold somebody accountable? How can the chief pull that company officer aside and say, hey, Cap, your guy said there's heavy smoke up on number three. Obviously, there wasn't. You know, that gets the wheels turning. I might have asked for another battalion. I might have done, you know, upped another truck because of multiple occupants. Whatever it was, right? I went by what his report was. And then you go down and you hammer that kid. And the kid's like, but I never knew that. He didn't know what was expected of him. So how can we hold him accountable for that? He didn't know. He's learning. And if we didn't teach him or train him, we're now holding him to a fake expectation because we never instilled that into him. So expectations matter. Where you take for granted something is normal, it's commonplace, for somebody else it's not. That slide before, your, bring, your upbringing, where you grew up, all those things that made you who you are as a human being influences and shapes your mindset of how you make decisions. So you're going to have a different point of view, different ideas, and it's not going to align with mine 100% of the time. And so if we don't create an environment of expectations, we're going to have differing opinions, and then that's going to cause conflict. We can't hold people accountable for things they don't know. And if you as a boss as a middle management boss, lieutenant, captain, sergeant, whatever you run, as hierarchy, right? I'm a firm believer that the battalion chief arrives, he goes and talks to the officer. He doesn't go talk to the men. Let the company officer do his job. Let the battalion chief do his job. The battalion chief has a seat at the table. He then has to take that message and put it down through the ranks, but he needs to go through the proper channels. Nothing drives me nuts more when my firemen knew more than I did. I'm a senior fireman in my firehouse. If I don't get that first fucking phone call, I'm pissed. Excuse my language. I'm pissed. There's a pecking order. We've gotten too chummy. We've gotten too out of order. I started the whole slideshow presentation with the Aloha slide, and I talked about the importance of order. What is up is up. What is down is down. When we go out of order, things go wrong. We need to maintain order. And by maintaining order, we then know what expectations are. We know position. We know placement. That matters. That absolutely matters. Go through the channels. We cannot get too comfortable with that. We can't allow battalion chiefs to disseminate a message through the men and not through the company bosses. We can't let the company bosses go over the battalion to go to a deputy. We have to maintain order. 
it's important. So expectations, you can't fault somebody if you didn't teach them. Not their fault, it's yours. <clears throat> Own it. <clears throat> uh, leadership, we talked about this a little bit, so obviously, I mean, you know, we could beat this up, but if you want the seat, work for it. Earn it. Nothing in life is given. I was given education. I was given opportunity. I squandered it. I've talked about it plenty today. I've now come to understand that. I've come to make myself better and to own it. Earn the seat. If it's given to you, work 30 times harder. Maybe earn it has more personal value. Has more personal value. Has a tremendous amount of more respect that goes with it. That's an important and a tough one. Because a lot of guys are walking into positions they don't belong in. A lot of people are taking positions they don't belong in. That's fact. We're not going to change that. The job isn't going to change. In a career service, it's trending younger and younger and younger. I interviewed those first in companies in Hawaii. Those guys were literally at their first fire, the one engine company. And the kid said to me, which blew my mind. You guys got to listen to this episode when it comes out. He said to me, he goes, Jeremy, he's like, this was my first fire. And it was the most amazing thing. I'm doing everything I was trained. I'm stretching like a fire everywhere. It was the coolest thing ever. And then all of a sudden we realized how bad it was. And I'm watching senior men cry. And he realized as cool as it was, and I'm getting my experience at my first big fire, the implications of all of it trumped anything that I got out of it. Powerful stuff, man. Powerful, powerful stuff. Earn your seat. Work for it. People need leadership. We do. We are an environment of sheep. We're an environment of what we're told these days. Management likes to tell us more and more. I get it. Unfortunately, from an administrative side, it has to be that way. It doesn't mean your firehouse has to run on that. We can still maintain old school values in the firehouse while protecting the integrity of the new school way takes work. Uh, nostalgia, here it comes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, hell yeah. Hip boots, long coats, long nights, cold nights, right? Mm -hmm. I couldn't do it. <laughs> I mean, I'd like to try. I'd love to try. But man, this is hard. You know, when we post some of the best, insta uh, best some of the best social media we put up is the stuff that's like the old school stuff, man. And, um, you know, it even drives me nuts, like, in my own department. If I have a buddy with me, like, I got to have somebody, like, give me a nod that he can ride on the truck with me if we get a run. Instead of just being like, you know, Bob, get on. Let's go. We're going for a ride. You know? And I go to some cities, and they're like, Jeremy, get on. And I'm like, okay, no questions asked. There's other places where like, hey, Jeremy, ride out with us. And they're like, uh, yeah, yeah, it's okay. There's places like that now because there's rules, right? We have rules. And rules have to be respected. There's no doubt. Rules have to be respected. The nostalgia of things is cool, right? We always think the generation before is cooler, better, bigger, cooler, especially in the fire service. As much as we butt heads with these guys, because these guys right here, these two dudes, I don't know who they are, they would laugh at me. Those guys would literally laugh their asses off at me doing this program today, laughing at us that we're sitting here doing this on our day off. They would laugh at us. It was a different time. But they would respect you because you're here. 
They respect the job. They respect, what's that? They do in the rear for sure. That's just from the bottles and bricks coming down from up above. That's pretty hardcore, man. Like, I don't know if you guys, like, get into any of the history stuff, but, like, even just, like, report from Magic Company 82, right, Dennis Smith's book. Like, you want perspective of what it was like. Like, I'm not a big reader because I don't have a lot of time to sit and read books. So I do audio books like crazy because I travel so much. Get the audio book. It's a, it's a quick, I mean, report from Magic Company 82 is literally this thick, big font. So on the audio book, it's maybe four hours. Get it. It's like $9.99 on Amazon. You want an understanding of what this looked like? Those guys worked the tour. They'd go home. They slept for a day. Then they'd have to get up and do whatever their wives made them do, and then they had to go back to work the next night. They didn't have time for side jobs back during when the Bronx was burning. These guys didn't go home and work a side job. They didn't go home and play with their kids. They went home to sleep and eat so they can get back to the firehouse and run their asses off for the next, you know, 14-hour shift. This is when New York City was putting second ladder companies in, like 103A. I don't know if you know that history. Like, this is a time where these guys were going, literally picking up for one job, looking up, and the next building up the block's on fire, and they just, like, throw the shit back on the truck, and they go. Think about that. We got one fire in a night, and we're like, woo, go to jobs, right? Imagine if you had two, three, four, back-to-back, five, seven. We'd be crying, man. We need more people. We need this. We need that. It's a whole different animal. Nostalgia is cool, and that's what nostalgia is. It's cool. But I promise you, man, we are so much softer than these guys. We could never do this. Sounds cool. Looks cool. I love it. I'd like to think I could. I'd like to try. I'd be crying after the first night. Well, here's the thing, right, Chief? I agree to an extent. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a, there's a couple guys in here that, uh, you know, I didn't want to point it out, but no. I, I, you're right to an extent, right? I think what happens to um, the volunteer service, we still get some of the older guys coming through. I think what's interesting in the career house is, and I, I, I travel all over the country, and I, I hang with career guys all over the country, and I've seen it firsthand where older guys have come in while I'm there and so on. There are firehouses that have an environment for it, and then there's others that don't value it. The firehouses that value it, I think, are much better off. Um, and I think that, that it takes work, though, too. They have to feel an invitation to be there. If you have an environment that doesn't value it, they're, they're gone, right? They're not going to come back, right? And then you're like, oh, none of, the, none of the old guys ever come back anymore. It's like, well, what have you done to have them here? What efforts are you making to have a cup of coffee with them? Or do we have too many jobs to do? I mean, think about it that way, too. <clears throat> a lot of these days now are structured. Like, literally, until, what, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, school visits, equipment checks, training, certs, more training, more certs, more mandatory. Like, we're taking away that time. And so when the guys can get their downtime, they take it, and they're not going to put in that extra effort. I can't stress this enough how important the older guys are in this industry. Um, that is why, and I talked about it before, that is why we started National Fire Radio. It was protect the identity of the fire service by capturing those stories in perpetuity. We need to be able to tell those stories and tell those stories on a platform that people are paying attention to. It matters. It matters. 
We all love it, but we lack the understanding and patience to appreciate it. I firmly believe that, for sure. <clears throat> There's that slide I talked about. Do better, because it takes work. Because it matters. What we do here matters. The people that believe in us, they believe in us unconditionally. When their house is on fire, when their daughter stopped breathing, when there's a car accident and everything in between, they make one phone call and they don't give a shit who shows up. But there's this level of expectation that it's going to be the same person every single time. I don't care if you're a career or volunteer, it's the same job. They don't care. It's how we carry ourselves, how we do this job professionally, proficiently, the standards we hold ourselves to, what that all looks like. That's up to us. That's why we all need to do better. And that's why it takes work. If you're willing to put the work in, I promise you this is one of the most rewarding things I've ever had in my life. Outside of my family, this is everything to me. That's why I started it, and that's why I do this every single day. I get to talk to you guys. I get to be here. I get to do this. It's an absolute honor to be here. Um, and I just love being able to share this with you all. Um, it's a passion of mine, and I think it comes through when I, when I do programs like this. I think it comes through. Um, it takes work. I challenge all of you. I said before, do better. It's a challenge. I challenge myself every single day. I challenge you. Look at yourself. Find areas in your life. If it's not the firehouse, maybe it's home. Maybe it's your side job. Maybe it's your accounting. Maybe it's your taxes. Maybe it's raising your kids. Maybe it's being a better husband or wife. Whatever it is, find that place in life and just do a little bit better. I challenge you. And I promise you, as you continually push yourself to do better, you'll be better. And that makes the fire service better. So thanks, guys. Very much. Appreciate it. <clears throat> Are there any, I mean, we got a few minutes or no? Any questions? Please, man. Yeah, so uh, I think uh, you talk a lot about uh, connecting, uh, finding common ground, having three generations that come you know, tell friends and family. Sure. So let me ask you this, because there's a lot of layers there, right? So what are you looking for validation from the administration? I mean, how would you instill passion and pride in somebody? Well, you said they don't recognize it, right? Right, for unions. Who doesn't recognize your passion and pride? Because um, I want to get specific, because then we can address it, right? Well, Is it like the... Doesn't recognize it, but doesn't pay, right? Doesn't pay? Yeah. Does it pay for you? Personally, yes. 100%. See, here's the thing, right? You believe in the mission because you're here. You're making yourself better sitting here today. Not just, I mean, not listening to me, listening to the Pat, right? Coming here and wanting to do this. <laughs> Coming here and wanting to do that speaks volumes about you. You, at the end of the day, have to look yourself in the mirror every day, right? There are guys, I get messages every single day through email, direct messages, text messages, you name it. I put my information out there. I'll give you all my cell number. You can call me, text me anytime you want. No dick pics. So, <clears throat> sorry. My point, is, my point is this. My point is this. <clears throat> you have to do it for yourself. 
You got to look at yourself in the mirror every single day and say that you're doing the very best you can for that job. If the job is making you sacrifice your own morals, ethics, and values, then you have to look at the job and say, is this the right job for me? If it is, then push yourself to be better than everyone else. The problem is this. We all believe we all need a pat on the back. It's hard. Gratitude, right? Like we all believe that we want our bosses. We need validation more than ever. We all do. We're a human species, right? I feel like I have my back to you guys. We're a human species. We all want validation, but we've done that more than ever today. It's the same reason why, like, on social media, people take pictures of themselves donating to causes or being a part of this or doing that. It's because we need to be stroked a little bit. That's okay, right? Being stroked is good. We need that for our own self-worth, right? We need that. But I want you to understand, too, what's really important for yourself is knowing that you're doing it for you. You have a mission, right? At the end of the day, when you go to a fire, you got to do your job. And you're going to do your job better than the next guy because the next guy is not pushing himself like you are. That's, the, that's that stroking you need. That's the gratification. Unfortunately, we have an environment today, career or volunteer, where we do not value this. That conference hangover I talk about. You're going to go home from here, fired up, ready to be better, push yourself to do better, and you want to infect that into your own crews. And then you get there and your own crews are like, I don't care. Like, oh, you spent your Saturday? Yeah, I, I had to go, you know, we went to the football game. You know, and you're like, well, I went to a fire conference. You know, people have different, people do things for different reasons. Um, I know this, I always look for validation. My validation comes from within today for me. Um, I think that's a hard thing to understand. Um, I don't know if I'm getting to the absolute meat of what you're looking for, but I think this, don't sacrifice yourself for what other people think or believe in. I think you need to believe in what's right for you. Push yourself harder. Push yourself to be bigger and better. Um, we've gotten to a place, not just in the fire service, but in society where we are sacrificing our morals, ethics, and values all the time. Go ahead. Yeah, so you, I know you said earlier that a good leader on Thursday is good. Mm -hmm. Did they have it and lost it, or they never had it? Yeah, I mean, two different, two different conversations, right? Because the, the establishment, the institution will push a lot of people away. Guys like yourself, three years from now, might be so frustrated with what your house looks like that you stop coming to these things. Now you're sacrificing your own values, right? Because the job has torn you down. Chief, you were going to say something. I was going to say, if I could come yeah. You're not. And, 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 and they're bitter. They're bitter losers. And we don't hand with losers. Um, but we 
we have to identify that it's not just a union problem. Um, there's deadwood in every fire. Um, and they're protected by cronyism. They're protected by people that don't want to do that tough conversation. They're protected because we have this opinion that there's only nine of us, and if we get rid of Joe, then there'll only be eight of us, and we'll be even more fun. So um, it, it's a hard conversation. The, it's a really hard conversation. The other part of it, too, right, is like you'll never have 100% buy-in. You know, something I say all the time is if you hold people to the same expectations you have for yourself, you'll often be disappointed. I've come to realize that, right? Like when I was developing our family business, I would hold my employees to the same <clears throat> standards I had for myself, my same work ethic. But what's their skin? They have no skin in the game like I do. It's my business. I should be working 10 times harder than them. I should be more involved, more in invested than they are because they don't have skin in the game, right? I think what's really interesting is you're never going to have 100% buy-in. You're always going to have dead wood. You're always going to have those, those guys that are taking up a space. With that, I think I can't give you words to get them more engaged. What I, do is, what I do believe is this. Try to involve them as much as possible, even with the negativity that surrounds them. If they start tearing down the positive, if they try to talk down the change, move on without them. Don't invite them anymore. And they're going to realize they're the only guys sitting in the kitchen now when everybody else is outside throwing 24s, 28s, and 35s, right? All of a sudden, they're going to start realizing, like, wait a minute, I'm not a part of this anymore. Might take time. Listen, again, I talked about immediacy. Everything is instant. We want change today. It's not going to happen today. But you keep maintaining that line. You do not sacrifice your values, your morals, your ethics. And you push forward and you hold that line. I promise you, some will come. Some will not. And you'll never get them. And that's okay, too. The world is made up of all different types of people. And so what I would say to you is, again, do not sacrifice your morals, ethics, and values. You hold that line, and it's infectious. I can tell you story after story where I've, I've talked to guys about this, and they say, yeah, I'm outside, and I do this, and I'm working out by myself. I'm the only guy on shift that works out. And I'm like, cool. Do you talk about it at all? Yeah, a little bit, you know. Hey, you know what, Jeremy, after a couple of weeks of, of maintaining that line, he's like, some other guy joined me now. There was a guy that said he wanted to start losing weight. So he's like, he joined me in the gym now, and he's like working out with me on shift. And I'm like, that's cool. I'm like, why don't you put like a weight loss competition involved now? See if you can grab two more guys from the firehouse, right? There's different ways to, to navigate the space. What it does, it takes work. Um, not that you're not putting in the work. My point is this. It's never going to be perfect, and you're never going to have 100% buy-in. Even my own department. I mean, I promise you this. Departments that have guys that go out and speak across the country, typically their own departments hate them. That's fact, Right? I would have loved to have brought 20 guys from my department with me today. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's a problem, but that's also how things are. So I don't get caught up in that because I want to be here with people that want to be here. It's the same with your firehouse. You're not going to win everybody over. Um, you're going to have bosses that are not going to promote the betterment. You're going to have bosses that are okay with the status quo. You're going to have bosses that do not push you to be better. They don't want you to be better. They could care less. It's a job for them. In the career side, how many people value their B job over their fire job? Most. Most. Totally get it, right? But here's the thing. Family is a, a party of seven, eight, ten. And then the city you work in is 100,000. 
and they don't give a shit if you're having a bad day or not, you signed up for it. See, the beautiful thing about the fire service is this. You signed up for it. They didn't come get you. You didn't get drafted. Volunteer fire service, you go through the process to join. Career service, I know in New Jersey, it is a full-time job to get a job if you can even get a paid fire job in New Jersey anymore. It's near impossible to get hired. That's why most kids are leaving Jersey to get hired elsewhere in the country. I just had another kid from my fire department, my volunteer house. He's just got hired in Fairfax County, Virginia. These kids are traveling all over the country to get hired because they can't get hired in New Jersey. The civil service system in New Jersey and the amount of jobs that become available are so few far in between that if you're on the civil service list, if you don't have residency in military, you'll never get hired. It doesn't happen, right? Cities don't do chief's tests down there. It's, it's 100% civil service. It's near impossible to get hired. It's, so it's a full-time job to get hired. My point is this. It's never going to change. Maintain that course. It's infectious. When I go to firehouses and I talk to guys, a lot of times if, it's, uh, if I'm traveling, so this morning before I came here, I drove around and I snapped a couple pictures of the different firehouses. I just like to, I like to drive around in the areas that I, I do presentations in so I get an, an understanding of like what the area looks like. You know? So I know who I'm talking to, the type of firemen, type of homes, buildings, commercial districts, industrial, whatever. I like to just drive around and see what it all looks like. Um, you know, so it just gives me, so I was up and out at like 7 o'clock this morning with a Dunkin' Donuts with a coffee and then just drove around. Type in fire departments, and I see they all pop up on the map, and I'll pick one or two. I'll drive past, take a picture of the firehouse, look around. Okay, cars in the driveway. Doors are up already at, at 730 this morning. Okay, like you get a mindset real quick of like how these departments operate, what they look like, who, what they're made up of, right? So I do this when I, when I speak if I have my, a car with me to do that. If I'm flying, I don't. Um, my point is I like to dial in to see what it's all about. And when I go to these firehouses, if I cold call these firehouses, sometimes I'll just stop by a firehouse. I'll bring them a coffee cake and walk in and be, just say hello. Say like, hey, man, I'm a fire buff. I just, you know, was walking by, you know. And I start having conversations with guys. And I'm always intrigued by who engages me first. Like, it's like when I'm at my own firehouse and somebody pulls up for directions, right? A lot of people don't pull up for directions anymore because of the phones. But people still sometimes stop and go like, hey, where's the market basket? Where's the, where's the, you know, this restaurant or whatever, you know, because they see us standing on the apron. I'm always intrigued. I used to be the first guy to go down and talk to the, to the people, the public, right, because I talk a lot. Now I like to sit back. I just lean up against the wall, and I like to see who in that crew will go down and talk to the person that pulled up. Try that next time. Are you the guy that goes out and engages the public? If you pull up at a fire alarm and you got a family out on the curb, do you get out of the truck as the chauffeur and say, hey, Johnny, you want to jump in the truck real quick? You carry plastic fire helmets in your trucks for those kids or those chance encounters? If you don't, do it. If you don't engage your public, do it. I don't care if you're a career or volunteer. It goes a very long way. It goes a very long way. My point is this. When I cold call and I stop at these firehouses and I talk to guys, it's usually some of the younger guys come out. And they're like, oh, yeah, I have this and that. Talk all of a sudden national fire. Oh, yeah, you look familiar. Whatever. We have this conversation. And it's like three guys and me. And then I see this in the back. And then I'll go like this. I'm like, you want to come out here and talk with me? And then the fucking crusty guy's like, ten minutes later, he's out front telling me every single story in front of the young guys. And those young guys probably haven't heard half his stories before. That's cool. You know what that takes? Work. That takes me engaging him. That makes me putting in the work to say, hey, Joe, why don't you tell me a story? 
And then he starts telling a story about a fire in 1975 where they made four grabs over wooden ladders and all this crazy shit. And his crew's standing there going, you did that? And he's like, yeah, you know, me and Bobby over there. And these kids get a whole new appreciation for this guy. That much start the conversation. It takes work. Find common ground. Ask the guy. I didn't say it. I, sometimes in this presentation, I go down a road where I talk about a lot of the older guys in the firehouse will talk about the same fires over and over and over. And the younger guys get really pissed off and, and annoyed with it. And like, you know, hey, Richie, I've heard this story 15 times. Like, I'm tired of you telling it. It's not that he wants to tell the same story. He's trying to get your attention. Do you understand that? Will you buy into that? Will you give and have the patience to listen to him for 15 minutes? Maybe all week at home, maybe he's widowed. Maybe there's nobody home anymore. Maybe the firehouse is the only outlet he has. And his only way to connect with you is to come down and tell that same story over and over and over. And now all of a sudden I don't want to listen or I'm impatient now, so I'm not going to give him 15 minutes of my time, even though this guy did 40 years in the firehouse. The audacity on me, right? Give the guy 15 minutes. Entertain him about the same story. Ask him the same question every time. Be like, Richie, what, how did that work again? Oh, well, let me tell you. That might be the highlight of that guy's week because you're just giving him an ear. It goes a very, very long way. I don't have a specific roadmap for you. What I would say is this. For yourself, don't ever sacrifice your morals, ethics, and values. Be the person you want to be. And people will either get on or get out of the way. What I will tell you is this. You cannot, you can make it very challenging for yourself if you take your expectations and just throw it on them and expect them to eat it. So if you want to be outside throwing those ladders, stretching those lines, and it's all you by yourself, and you have that willpower and drive to better yourself, somebody will come along, I promise. But the other thing, too, is you can't then go in and be like, fucking lazy guys, man. I'm out there busting my ass, me. I'm trying to be better, and all you guys are just sitting in here being lazy. That don't work. I think some of the best advice I ever got was, if you're going to do it, do it silently. Go do it, and then show them the results. That's it. Anybody that likes to flaunt what they're doing draws the attention back to me because I need validation. I'm out there throwing these ladders by myself. Look at me. Well, now are you doing it for you or are you doing it for the, for the stroke, for the validation? If you're doing it for you, there's no reason to go show it off. Do it for you. They're watching. They know. That matters. It's understanding the nuance of conversation and salesmanship. The best way to sell is not to sell. The best way to sell is to educate. An educated consumer is the best consumer. So if they see you bettering yourself, and then you guys go to company training, and you throw that 24 off your shoulder like a, like a rock star, and the other guys are fumbling, they're going to know that all that hard work you've been putting in matters. You see what I'm saying? We don't need to flaunt it. Just go do it. Work in silence. I think that that's one of the most important things that we lack today is we're all looking for this constant validation. And so we're going to do everything we can to let everybody know what we're doing instead of just putting your head down and doing. I don't know. Just my thoughts. <laughs>